Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B., and I recently completed my goal of watching every Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and a revolving co-host or co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who-should-have-won podcast. We are here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion of by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to email us, to write in, our email is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Twitter and chop it up with us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at bestpicturecast. You can also just search for bestpicturecast. You'll find us. And we're back again here. It's episode six. And this week we're doing something a little differently. We're bringing back some old friends and I have... Two co-hosts with me tonight as we discuss Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca, the best picture for the year of 1940. And I am here with two co-hosts today. I'm going to go around the table, have them introduce yourselves. And Joey, why don't you start it off? Hey, thanks, Karen. It's Joey. Um, glad to be back after One Flew Cuckoo's Nest. You know, come back for more mentally unstable people and talk about them in great detail. Thank you. Okay, and then we'll move over to, uh, to why don't you tell them? <laughs> Thanks, Kieran. <clears throat> I'm Grant Z. Um, back for more uh, after a crash. So I'm um, excited to actually talk about a good movie this time. Uh, <laughs> so you liked it. <laughs> yeah, Spoiler alert, I like this movie. Okay, and this is our first three-person format here, so we're going to kind of touch and go with the best of us, and uh, with Joey R. and Grant Z. here, where while our the main character in our movie we're discussing today did not use her her first name at all, we are not using our last name, so there's a little symmetry for you. Identity, con- identity communication, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the other works of Alfred Hitchcock, Sir Alfred Hitchcock and the the work that he's done over his illustrious career. And this week, the Rain Man podcast, just as we're recording, the Rain Man podcast came out. Last episode, as I had said at the time, that was kind of our first episode with the podcast going live. So we're now kind of in the heat of that. And we've gotten some great feedback. It's been a lot of fun kind of getting it out there and talking to people. And we encourage anyone to kind of hit us up on Twitter or send an email. It's We like having the open discussion. We like to kind of kick the stuff out there. And, and there was one topic that was brought up on Twitter this week in regards to the release of Rain Man. I wanted to kind of throw it at you guys. You obviously both seen the movie and you listened to the, to the podcast that uh, Chris G joined me for. I saw this. Yeah, there was a little kind of exchange and, and it actually did surprise me a little bit that we didn't really touch on this while we were doing the podcast, but uh, a user, Catherine Short, wrote in and kind of asked what we thought about whether Hoffman's, who won Best Lead Actor, was that really a lead acting role or was that more of a supporting role? And would Cruz fit into the lead role or would he fit into the supporting role? When we were doing the podcast, we kind of just went under the assumption that Hoffman was the lead and Cruz was the supporting, but you look at it closer... I don't know. What do you think? 
I mean, I think I think Hoffman's the lead. He's the Rain Man, right? <laughs> yep. And I just, you know, I mean, while they're both great and they're both, you can almost say dual roles, I think if one's going to be lead, it's Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's the idea of a co, of like a, a dual star, yeah. starring role. I think that's a, you know, that's it's not the realm of possibility. Yeah, there are plenty of movies that have two leads. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I don't see why this is any different. Yeah, and, you know, I... One that just pops to mind to me is Shawshank Redemption, where Morgan Freeman got the supporting right. nominee, where to me, he's kind of the lead of the... But then, you know, I guess the argument is, is that what the, the story's about Andy Dufresne. But it's right. framed under Morgan Freeman's kind of narration yeah. of it and everything. Yeah. And um, You see, that I think would be a two-lead actor situation, Shawshank. Yeah, and if there was he got been, that supporting, so is that right. that kind yeah. of like... Fraud think, status with the yeah, support. There, there are there are plenty of movies that have two, two leads. Like, and we talked about a movie a few weeks ago, Gangs in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio and Daniel Day Lewis are both leads in that movie. That's a good one too, because I think that you could probably see a case where Daniel Day Lewis could get a supporting nominee. He got a lead a lead nominee for it, yeah, right? But I could see if, if we're going under that yeah, the, premise the, of the, the red. Movie, I mean, the movie's about both of them simultaneously. Right. It's, yeah. it's, they it's, both have it's dual stories right. running to concurrently right. and how they interact. And you have Leo kind of narrating that one, right. so you could you could kind of assimilate Leo with Morgan Freeman and maybe give Leo a supporting one in that one. So it's, I guess I think there's always a gray area with this stuff. And the one thing that I kind of like responded with a, in regards to it was I don't know a, a situation where like the title character. Who plays the central role has ever been the supporting? Right, I think that would be a tough sell for to be the the name on the marquee in essence, and then get the supporting role. And I mean, I think a lot of it goes to who the studios push and for votes. And if there's two, you know, if it is because you know, Cruz could be in it too. But now, do they don't split it? Now, no, nope, neither of them are going to win because people are voting for the movie versus the person. Could you get your head around a Tom Cruise supporting nominee? Yes. Yeah, I think that'd be okay. Even though I actually, movie actually, I actually kind of think that Cruz is more of the lead actor than Hoffman is. That was the Twitter user's point. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't fight that Hoffman got the the lead nomination and all that. But I feel like if anyone, because the movie kind of starts and ends with Tom Cruise. Yeah. I feel like that's because he's the one that kind of is the trajectory of the whole movie. It's, it's he, about he, he's it's a, the character arc, right? Yeah, right. I mean, he's the one. He's that, the journey, right, right? Yeah, he's he's the one that he takes he takes in takes in Raymond, and he it's his quest. And you know, we go from there to a movie we're discussing today, where the title character is not even in the movie. <laughs> I love I love <laughs> the idea of now. I feel I feel like she's all over the place. Oh uh, yes, <laughs> Rebecca's <laughs> ever present in this movie. She's a stronger character than some of the people there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we don't uh, we don't see her. How often does that happen? A main character you never see ever yeah, again? Yeah, interesting. So let's let's kick right into the uh, the intro here with this. Rebecca, uh, Grant, what was your first experience with Rebecca? Well, I saw in the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, only only co-host Chris G was alive to see them in the theaters. <laughs> uh, no, I saw I saw it like a week ago. <laughs> yeah, for the first time uh, on YouTube. And Joey. Uh, yeah, when we were talking about doing a three-man pod, we were looking at movies. I thought Rebecca looked interesting, and then I got to re-watch uh, Psycho Rear Window, and then also watch North by Northwest for the first time. So it was just a good Hitchcock week. Hell yeah, and a, and a great week of film, for sure. And I'm, 
This is our, our first real throwback here. The oldest one we did before this is Cuckoo's, Cuckoo's Nest 75, so we're even going 35 years before that. And that's a rewatch. I mean, this movie is in on cable randomly at midnight. It's like, very hard to find. Yeah. It's yeah, really hard. You can't even get it on, like, I Amazon. Bought it. Or, yeah. I bought the DVD. Wow. Nice. Yeah, I, so the first time that I saw this, now, this was a while ago for me. This was actually, there's some lining up with what we're doing with this. I knew that I was going to have to see a lot of these older movies. So I kind of, yeah, and I didn't want to leave them all to the end. So it wasn't like you was going to watch everything 1960 and after and then just get stuck with all these movies and lose interest for sure. <laughs> so I kind of looked at, at the list and said, okay, wait. And then I saw a Hitchcock movie. I said, well, that might be... That might be a good one. At least I know the director, and I know that it'll probably be entertaining enough. So it was one of the first ones I saw. And because of the amount of time it lasts, we're talking almost 15 years, I went into this this week really not remembering very much about it. As I watched it, of course, the, the bigger scenes yeah, came sure. back to me. It was a really, a really fun watch. I watched a couple of Hitchcock movies before it, and then after, I watched it, and I watched a couple afterwards. So it was kind of nice to, to check it out and... and get all that in there 1940 man we're talking about we're talking about 80 years ago yeah a little different times how was it for you guys this week kind of watching a movie from 1940s i know neither of you are really film buffs (laughs) (laughs) we are not arty we are not film buffs (laughs) we are just film enthusiasts (laughs) oh shots fired already i love it i mean grant you're not you're not Looking through 1940s, 1950s movies on a regular basis. So, what no. was your experience like here? Um, if if it if it, if the movie's interesting enough, and if it's you know if it's done well, I can watch. I'll watch anything. You can tell there's a lot of stuff that's of its time in both the way the film is made and the way characters interact with each other that are definitely you know from 1940. But it's it's it it holds up to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was surprised at how well it held up. I was thinking, all right, because it's, you know, there's black and white movies and there's very black and white movies where it's gray toned with light versus right. where we go to Psycho where it's a purposeful black and white. So it's a different kind of animal to it. But it held up and the things that were old, it's not as slow as you think older movies might be. It kind of moves along. It does move, yeah. You have to get used to some of the speech patterns and the slang of the time. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things of the first... <laughs> I put it on, and then within the first 10 minutes, I texted Karen and Joey and talking about how people are talking like the Micro Machines guy. <laughs> <laughs> and everything is just at this really just snappy pace that it's... I watched it a second time. It's much easier to understand, but it's... it's uh, but I think that's just how movies were done back then. Everything, everyone talked real snappy. Well, <laughs> I actually did research on it. It's called the Mid Atlantic accent. Yes. It's a purposeful Micro accent. That, yeah, right. That pretty much rich. Got big one, small one, those one. <laughs> rich people made an accent so that poor people would know that they're rich. It's all like facade. Right, and it comes. I mean, when we see it all the way then through rear, rear window, because Jimmy Stewart, I mean, is the poster boy for the accent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Drop now, all the R's. Now, yeah, I was watching it, watching them out of my window. Now this is a this is conversation I'm gonna probably direct more toward the end of this podcast when we kind of we're gonna more or less rank what we've done so far and try to come up with a ranking for the six movies that we discuss. But this week also, as we said before, the podcast is live. A friend who's kind of in on the in on the podcast and he's you know gonna watch the movies and, and listening. He watched Cuckoo's Nest this week and had a hard time getting through it. Wow. And I was a little bit stunned because 
to me, like that movie is super watchable. And then, you know, that kind of jarred me a little bit. And then I, I talked to a couple more people just in, in their experience with it. And another friend kind of said, well, he, he watched it on a date once with a girl and the girl didn't like it at all. She wasn't, she wasn't feeling it. So it just kind of, it, it gave me some perspective as how we watch movies today and how we're conditioned to see movies today. And even a movie that's by all accounts, you know, an American classic in One Flew Cuckoo's Nest, there can be a pacing to it. And we'll talk a little more about that at the end, but I do want to kind of throw that out here now This we're talking about a movie in 1940. Yeah, that's interesting because I had actually, after Kieran, I had texted you after watching North by Northwest and how I really liked it. I'd never seen it before, but it's a very different watch than we're used to now. Mm -hmm. And we had a brief conversation about kind of, you know, expectations from new movies now. Um, North by Northwest is a thriller. It's a tense movie, but compared to something coming out today, you're not losing your mind. It's it's more subtle and sleek compared to more kind of in your face. So I think it's expectations as well as more patient movie going almost. Yeah, and I, I watched that one about a year ago, and my roommate came in and said, what are you watching? Oh, cool. And he lasted about 10, 15 minutes. And I mean, he listened, it was late. He was going to bed anyway, but it, it didn't grab him right out of the gate, because that movie does kind of have... A, and Hitchcock is a methodical yes, movie maker. Yes, it's a slow burn. He, yeah, there's he a, wants to yeah. set everything up gradually. There's a trudge to it, which makes yeah. the tension at the end or the turn really hit, but you gotta get, you have to be in it. I mean, really, for all of his movies, except for Psycho, which kind of... Just hit you. Within the first 20 minutes is the one of the most climactic scenes in cinema. Yeah. Probably the most like, famous murders. Yeah, but like if you bring it back to Cuckoo's Nest, I haven't seen it still. But my favorite movie of all time, Jaws, is from that year. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you can... You can't say it's just... You know, like some people just don't like movies that are from that long ago. I, I don't know. Because I feel like Jaws would still hold up. Because it's... Well, because it also starts works. right off the bat with... You know, it starts out of 10. Right. With, with, the, with the girl in the beginning. So I don't know if that maybe just will hold people's interest long. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, uh, talk about The Revenant from just a few years ago. I talked to people who said they just fell asleep with it. That's, they a, couldn't, that's they couldn't a slow burn. I love slow burn. I, mean, I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was no one. Right. I loved Revenant. I had a real hard time watching it over and over. There's not a rewatchability to it. But like something like Cuckoo's Nest, I'm surprised. But I, and I think there's, you know, we count for taste. Some people just aren't. It's also, it's also everything's a, not for everybody. It's also a subject matter that you're very... Right. You I love. My entire life right. is... And when he was done with it, he did say, I need to watch that again, not, I, I, I'm done, that's not going to be watchable at all, like, I'm right. done. I think that one comment he made was is how he thought it was almost too real. It just gave me anxiety. Well, <laughs> but I think that's uh, the brilliance that's, that's, of the yeah, movie. It's, we talked about that for an hour in our movie, in our podcast, just about how <clears throat> anxiety and claustrophobic it feels. And I think that's part of the brilliance of it, where Jaws is scary because of how big it is and yeah. how much unknown it is. Right. Cuckoo's Nest is claustrophobic, and they're both, I mean, fighting for one and two that year. And even Psycho, which we'll get into in a little more depth a little later in the cast, but I watched it in full for the first time this week. Oh, wow. And, like, I obviously have seen that scene. Sure. Many sure. But, like, that first half of the movie, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. There's, like, there's a whole other thing going on here that I wasn't even really aware of. Yeah. And so it's not even like that movie just kicks right into gear too. Yeah. There's a, a like that other storyline that kind of well yeah yeah I mean you're kind of led to believe like okay well this is the movie's going to be about this girl with the money yeah mm -hmm. and then yep. it just gets completely the rug gets yeah. thrown out from under you right. yeah. starting yeah. off with Hitchcock's you know yeah. sexuality dreaminess of the blonde. And, which we see in all his movies. Which yeah. is, oh, is that a trope? Is that a trope of his? He loves it. I haven't noticed. Well, let's <laughs> then you really let's, uh, let's talk about a brunette then. Rebecca, are we ready to go? Yeah. Is contestants ready? Gladiators ready? Let's, let's do, do it. it. 
The year is 1940. Franklin Delano Roosevelt is elected to an unprecedented third term in office, defeating Republican businessman Wendell Wilkie. That'll probably be the only time we talk about old Wendell Wilkie in this that's, podcast. That's fine. Anybody have any thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big Wilkie head. <laughs> Baseball, Cincinnati Reds defeat the Detroit Tigers in seven games, and they celebrate a world championship on their home turf, Crosley Field, which we remember was featured in Rain Man, and this is the second Best Picture cast World Series win for the Cincinnati Reds. Raymond Babbitt would be very proud. Song of the Year, and this is pre-Billboard charts. The Billboard, the Billboard charts start in 1953. But they deal, They still do kind of have a number one song, and this number one song of the year was I'll Never Smile Again by Tommy Dorsey. So you can go and look that one up and groove along to it. But 1940, Best Picture winner, it's Rebecca. The movie's directed by Sir Alfred Hitchcock. It's produced by David O. Selznick. It's based on a novel by Daphne du Maurier. It's starring Sir Lawrence Olivier, Joan Fontaine, George Sanders, Dame Judith Anderson, and Reginald Denny. It wins the Oscar for Best Picture. Only takes home two Oscars that year, though, despite several nominations. Wins the Best Picture. It also wins Best Cinematography. The other awards it was nominated for, which it did not take home, Best Lead Actor, Sir Lawrence Olivier. Best Lead Actress, Joan Fontaine. Best Supporting Actress, Judith Anderson, Best Director, Sir Alfred Hitchcock, Best Writing, Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Film Editing, Best Special Effects, and Best Music Original Score. So, this is his first, him being Alfred Hitchcock, this is his first Hollywood American release. Hell of a beginning. Yeah, it takes the shop out to, out to Hollywood. The movie takes place... It starts in Monaco, Principality in South France, but it, it takes place majority in Cornwall, in, in Cornwall, England. Right. But it's filmed in California, and it's it's a Hollywood affair. Let's let's talk out of the gates. Intro to this movie. Where, what are our thoughts here? With the uh, the car ride in. Yeah. Well, it definitely shows you that um, something goes down. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those movie tropes that you see from time to time, where it kind of starts at the end, then works its way back. Although you don't really see where she's. Because it's just a dream, right? Mm-hmm. With her seeing Mandalay, Mandalay right. again. Yeah, so it starts with "Last Night I Dreamt of Mandalay." Right, yeah, dream sequence right. kind of goes in, and yeah. it's you know, as we said, it, it's a it's based on a gothic novel by Daphne du Maurier, and they really hammered home that gothic themed sure right out of the gates. Yeah. You get the they really you know, let you know you're not allowed in the gates, and then the dream kind of brings you in anyway, and then you see the house, which is dark, but. Well, it's dark and it looks it looks like it was it pans like, to the yeah. part that's burned. It's but then yeah. what is what does it say? And then a light turned on, and then just the east wing just lights up all of a yeah. sudden. Was it was it the east or was it the west? Maybe it was the west, right? Because that's, that's what it was. West, where Rebecca was. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and they're actually. I mean, they're remaking this movie now, so that's a whole interesting piece to it. And I think as we go into things, because we do the walk. Are, are they remaking it? Now? Yeah, Army Hammer as Maxim. Wait um, a minute. Did you guys not know this? They're remaking Rebecca. Yeah. Wow. All right. Who's who's? Uh, who's... I feel great about my research now. <laughs> Hold on. I'll tell you. Give me two. Rebecca. Was so actually, we're getting was, ahead of this, people. I was, I was, I was actually. I was actually thinking if they were to remake this, who would? Like who would? That's be... a fun conversation to have with these yeah. old movies, right? Yeah. 
Um, Let's just, like, what do you think off the top of your head here? I don't know, because you, you would want to try to get a, a British guy, right? To play, uh... I was thinking, you know what I was thinking for, um... Daniel Craig could totally work. I feel like he's the... Daniel Craig always works, though. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I'll tell you this, and this is one of the things I was going to bring up. I was going to bring up right now. So I got a guy who I think the age might not be perfect, but... There were two people that I just kept thinking of while I was watching Laurence Olivier in this movie. Mm-hmm. One is more comical because it's not an actor, it's a character. And then the other is an actor. But I just I couldn't shake Ron Burgundy while, while I was seeing him. Especially in the scene where, there, where, she's, where she's like, she goes and finds the cabin and he gets all like, all hot and bothered and he's walking away and pouting. Yeah, give me, give was, me that leash. <laughs> Come on, Baxter. <laughs> and and he's got the jacket and the mustache and he just, his mannerisms. I, and part of me believes, hair. I'll probably believe that Will Ferrell like was watching this movie or another Star Wars movie so and, and that cued him. So I just, that, I couldn't shake the image of them. But the other one that I was thinking about, and this would be an interesting guy to, to play him in this one, was Zac Efron in the Ted Bundy movie. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, Zach Efron's good. He had that kind of mustache. He's he had just, that kind of look so to him. Jack, there's, there's more of a presence to him. Right? Well, you know, Zach Efron, than, Zach Efron would be good. I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal would be really good. Gyllenhaal, I would get into. I, um, I mean, Army Hammer, no disrespect that, to Army Hammer, I feel like we could do better. You know what I was thinking for uh, Miss DeWinter, Mrs. DeWinter, is, uh, is Daisy Ridley. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I feel like his she can play that meekness, well, but she, with the background then, strength. But then she has like right. then she gets a bad Isn't point it? at the end, and right. kind of becomes a ride or die. Right, um, real ride or die. Yeah. But even in the beginning, when she's so meek, there is right. That's, that's she's able to lie to Van Hopper to go. You know, she's yeah. becoming I, a I tennis like, pro. I feel, like, I feel like she'd be. I feel like that'd be a good role. For so her. they have Lily James cast to play her, who I don't know. She's in Downtown Abbey, so I don't know a ton about her. Downtown she's, Abbey. Yeah, but so she's that's the one cast for it. But interesting. Who's yeah. the, the, the Mrs. Danvers? Mrs. Danvers, we got Kristen Scott Thompson. Um, she does not look harsh enough. No, she was in four weddings and a hmm. funeral, but Danvers has, I don't know, like another worldly quality to her. Yeah, Danvers looks like a vampire. How about Margot Robbie for Mister Winter? Margot Robbie could do anything. Yeah, uh, she might be too tough, strong, not, not meek enough. I think, I think Daisy I, Ridley's meekness would come out more because you really yeah. need her to... And I, I think Margot Robbie's too old. Hmm. You want a younger... Well, I mean, what? Joan Fontaine she, was 23. She was like 23. Yeah. yeah. She, was, she, was, she, was, she was supposed to be really young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he even says, because what's the scene where she's talking about, oh, I wish I was 36 and in Black Pearls or yeah. whatever. I was and, in love to be 36. And, yeah. and his line was, if you're 36, it, it, you want to be here. You get to your yeah. 30s, that'll dump you. I must be in love with these pearls. Yeah. Well, well, we could have Leo play him then at that rate. I'd rather be 36. You need someone who's able to feel less than, you know, in comparison to a ghost. All right, so they're they're redoing the movie. That throws for a loop there. Good job, good job. With Joey, Joey's always one up in me with the research. That's why I keep you around here. <laughs> I, so need, the, I need a hook. <laughs> this is a, I think we're going to talk about this movie in three acts, which is the best way to do it. Well, Your first act is the pre-marriage leading up to, up to all, the, the Monaco, all the Monaco, the Monaco stuff. Yeah. Two is her struggling within the house, and then three is, is the trial is when when shit goes down. Right after the yeah, Miss Danvers' real evil evil twist. Yeah, it. so. I do want to do a little shout out to uh, old Edith Van Hopper in the intro to this. What a <laughs> she bitch! Did, oh god, she's fucked. <laughs> you know who? You know, you know who I want to play her? Uh, Kathy Bates. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, but isn't that the character from that. Titanic? 
Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. a little bit more of yeah. a jerk. Yes. <laughs> and and the actress who played her, his last name is Bates. Is that is that right? Yeah. Wow, look at that. No relation. Yeah, Florence Bates. No relation. Wow. But she was awful. Oh, there's nobody here who's even named worthy. Oh, Maxim! Yeah. But oh, yeah, Maxim. just like Tomo just gossipy. Most, most women like, will get out their eyes to see Monaco. When did this all happen? <laughs> you know, so, so you, you, you love you love. I don't to, think he loves you, does do you? Yeah. You love to hate her, too. You should, you love you're to not doing her. anything you shouldn't. Yeah. It's like, damn, just let her... Just let her fuck. Right. <laughs> let her move on. You yeah. listen. You're paying for a companion. Clearly, you're clearly you're, no one likes you. Right. And boy, this is so 1940s with the premarital into marriage. Like they're courting and they're going on these plutonic dates where they're not even like they're they're, they're not even next to each anything. other. They don't touch. They don't yeah. do anything. And all of a sudden they're getting married. I, I kind of like I'm really getting married. I, I'm waiting for like yeah, the first kiss here. What is faster than a bachelor? Yeah, jeez. <laughs> I'm proposing to you, you idiot or you fool. Yeah. <laughs> but like now, I was yeah. like, what? Well, I, I, have, I have that written down. I'm asking you to marry me, you little fool. You little fool. That's what. <laughs> I have a few quotes here from Max about how he just loves nagging Mrs. De Winters. <laughs> So that's one of them. I'm asking you to marry me, you little fool. And then he says... You just call uh, her an idiot somewhere. Oh, no, I have that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and then he says uh, he wants to make violent love to her behind, behind a palm tree. Okay. Yes. That's like everything. I'm like, that. that's not normal. That's 1940s, okay. That's, yeah, and then uh, don't, be a little idiot, don't be a little idiot, darling. Love okay. it. And then, um, and then she says, oh, Max, I was thinking. And he's like, oh, why would you do such a thing? <laughs> so, oh boy! Oh, so, a, a, good old Maxim. But even he's, and then when you, you go to the, Maxim's real woke in this one, you, know? uh, you go to the, you go to the scene where they're watching the honeymoon video, and then there's the whole thing with the broken cherub in the middle, and he's just he's like, ah, oh, we're not happy. We got to end this shit now. Yeah. It's like it's like we were just laughing and happy. What happened? Oh, look at us here. And then so, there's the Ron Burgundy scene. It's like, ah, oh, you moody bitch. Oh, uh, I know. So <laughs> yeah, he, well, he's, he's dealing with some shit. Well, we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. we just thought he was and, a broken man. It is, it is interesting watching it a second time around. Knowing. Knowing that he really does love her. Right. And it's just like, you're like, oh, okay, but it's just... His hesitancy wasn't... Yeah, but like, he's, he's, just, he's just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. So he and can't... And he, he just completely... He's, he's living right. his life on edge. It's really interesting, because it is, because I, I finished the second rewatch today, too, and it's, you know, in the beginning, you're like, thinking that he's gaslighting her, but right. then really, it's, it's he's afraid to get too close, because he knows it's going to destroy her when... Right. And he just... He is thrown for a loop when she but is maybe, completely you know, but, ride or die. She's like, let's do this. Yeah, but maybe be a little, you know, a little forthcoming. A little forthright. Yeah. So in regards to some of these courting scenes with her fake tennis lessons and the car rides, how that that's like that old movie trope where they're driving in the and car, you have the projector. The yeah. <laughs> and how, just <laughs> how do you think that plays with that? I mean, I think that we know that that's of the time and I like the rain too. Oh, I, 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 I don't the rain like a was, stage hand dumping a bucket on I don't even, head. I don't and then the jacket that she's just soaked. <laughs> I don't even I don't even I don't even let it bother me. Yeah, I right. was cool with because, it. Because like honest. it was yeah. like what are they supposed to do? Yeah, you know I, I mean, like, yeah, no, I mean, it's not, you know, this isn't like Dunkirk. Like, I mean, this was nominated for visual effects, and I think one of the one of the visual effects are there too is with the Mandalay itself, the mansion. Yeah, used a miniature right for it. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. used oh, a miniature. Which is really, it. Impressive. I mean, it looks, it looks great. It looks great. And I read that, so I read that after I saw it initially, and then in the second rewatch, you can kind of look at it and and kind of once see, you know, yeah, once you know, you can but, see the scene. But I, I thought it looked pretty. Pretty I thought it looked great. I figured they just found a house in California and just kind of bumped it up a little bit. So that's that's interesting. 
but yeah, I, I, the driving that just is what it is. I I it's, I laugh at it. I think it's funny watching him like I kind of fake move his hands. Yeah, it's, like, it's just that. It's just it just is time. what it is. You can't really. It tells the story it. it needs to tell, and like you said, it's the platonic. I feel worship. like I feel like it's unfair to criticize a movie for that. They're doing everything they can. I agree. <laughs> now I, I had a little bit of a a little bit of a criticism here in this first act, okay. and this is this seemed very Hitchcockian in that playing games with the audience. There's a scene where they're out on the balcony and she's talking about swimming and the undertow mm-hmm. and, you know, the music. And he just looks off and he's very, now all of a sudden he's upset and he's looking out and he's right. like, the undertow, the undertow, you know, and he's, and he's, and she's like, what the hell did I say? Like, what, yeah. like come on, right. I was just talking about swimming. And then she learns later on, it's like, to me, I looked at that like in the second watch and I'm like, well, is he reacting that way because he's selling? He, he he's, oversold. He knows. Yeah, right. but but it's it's kind of like he they pl- they shot that as if the character lost his wife to a drowning accident, not right. staged yeah, was, a drowning accident. He, he was cheating a little bit. Yeah, he was, was cheating a little yeah, bit. A little bit. It was, I mean, it was in that where music so much in it. That was the first like heavy music cue where I was like, okay, it kind of like hit you. Yeah, for me yeah. at least, I, hit, I was like, "Oh, okay, this is something we're supposed to pay attention to." Right, and then kind of hiding the hiding the twist. At right, the they end. didn't really wait too long to tell us about the sailing accident. I think it was like two scenes later where you do a big reveal like that. Let, let it breathe a little. Yeah, and to me, like you, you, how that could be. And here I am telling Hitchcock how he should do this. But <laughs> it's eight years well, he's, a like, he's, not gonna, he's not going to hear this. It's okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure his army of angry fans will, though. I think just maybe a little subtlety, and like ah, I don't, I don't want to talk about that or something like just dismissing. Well, well that's the thing. Yeah. He just kind of he he just flies off the handle at the drop of that. But that's part of that his is character. character. Right. Yeah, that is because that is consistent with his character throughout. We sure. see it a couple different times, yeah, yeah. so it's not outrageous. At, at, other, it's at just... other people too, not just right. Yeah, and maybe just the thought of bringing up drowning is just bringing him back to that whole thing. He doesn't want to lose his front, maybe. He doesn't want to think about it. Yeah, yeah. You know. Or he doesn't want to show his hand that he's not too unhappy about it. Well, I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all about keeping up appearances. Right, right. And if, if, this, if this comes out, it's going to ruin his legacy, his family's legacy, all that. And that's what he talks about at the end, too. Well, the whole movie's about appearances. Right. Yeah. Facts. We lose old Miss Van Hopper, send her over overseas. Good God. Good God. And <laughs> our... Uh, our our happy couple is driving off to the old Mandalay, yeah. and we get the ominous rain from the stagehand who's done a lot of water over their head. Very subtle rain. <laughs> oh, I Very have a jacket rain. for you. <laughs> <laughs> and here we're introduced to the old Mandalay, and they walk in, and we see the staff looking very grim. They're looking like, to me, they're looking like they're about to start the sequel of Beauty and the Beast 2, <laughs> and they had all just lived as appliances and candles and clocks, yeah, yeah. and they're and they're just now they're back to humans, and they're looking very unhappy at their master that they had to live as appliances. And, I and mean, candles. Frith looks like he's coming right out of the Adams family. <laughs> yeah, it looks like the haunted mansion. <laughs> a real pleasant welcome, right, you know. Yeah. So I used to be a broom handle. <laughs> <laughs> I was a chipped cup for a year what are you doing yeah what happened to bell all right we spent all that time as a candlestick and a clock and and a and and a a french fluffer and now we have and now you bring in a a new 22 year old here what's going on this ex-chorus girl as his sister calls her behind her back and then we meet well then that's that's when we meet miss danvers and Mm. let's talk about miss danvers let's talk about miss danvers yeah because i mean i don't know you guys may have different opinions we did we we for full disclosure, we actually did not discuss this movie at all before yeah. this. Which I'm really excited about for all yeah, this to other, come out. So we, there may be twists and turns in our own conversation here. Some of the other ones we've kind of dabbled, but this one we're all coming in fresh. 
I'll speak for myself on this one. You guys disagree with me if you want to. I thought that this is the character. I thought she crushed it, this movie. Yeah. I thought it was the one performance which was locked tight, solid, consistent, eerie, intense, really set the tone for what this movie is and kind of sold the ghost of Rebecca. The whole not blinking thing throughout the whole really movie, the wild. floating around, y- you got that really uncomfortable feeling. It's just like, I would be like, if I'm living in this house, like, ah, I'm going out. I don't want to stay around mm. this lady. I thought it was unbelievable because early on, I, there was, while she was cold, it, you didn't see that evil darkness right away. So I was almost to a point where I was like, oh, maybe she is going to be a confidant for her. And then... Then you realize that she's really she's more obsessed with the ghost of Rebecca than anybody, and then it's pure evil, which we'll talk about in the next part. But it's I thought she was perfect in everything she did. She tricked me here and there. She scared me. Like she was great. Yeah, she was. She was. Um, she was outstanding. I thought. I thought it captured the tone. It just built the tension perfectly. The suspense part of the movie all revolved around her. Yeah, I just. Yeah, I thought it was. Thought it was great. That whole yeah. scene with her going through Rebecca's bedroom in the West Wing, and she was like, "Oh, I, I wanted how... you to come," and she's going through, making her the clothes. And then she feel how st- soft this is. Right, and yeah, then she yeah. starts brushing her hair, but she notices that Mister Winter had moved the brush. One inch, ten, yeah. Ten degrees God, over. Mentally disturbed. And it's just, yeah, it's just it, so I mean, dark. Do you think? Do you think it was? There was. It was more than just she. She liked her. Do you think it was like she was infatuated with her? Like she like like romantically wanted to I, be. I think that in in my opinion there were he was teasing with a few ideas here with this. I didn't get like a romantic thing, Me but neither. but I did get a he was kind of. Teasing with grief and infatuation and grief. And there was that kind of almost like that almost hoarding element to her mm-hmm. where it, it, she, she could, she could not lose grasp of the past. And this was – she adored this woman and when this woman passed, she was unable to cope with the grief of it. And she's obviously not mentally stable to begin with. So sure. you, you throw that on top. So that, that's what I took – yeah, and I mean, we, we find out that Miss Danvers, she hasn't, she's not a lifer at Mandalay. She comes in with Rebecca, so there's almost like she grew up in Mandalay with her. But also, we find out later that she also knew the darkness of Rebecca. So I think there was also this idea of like, you know, I knew what you all knew, like kind of the identity that was thrown to the world. Right. But I also knew the her who laughed at all of you because like she says, love is a game. She used to sit on her bed and laugh when I was with her and combing her hair. So she saw the full facet of Rebecca so there was probably this, like, I get to know more yeah, I mean, of her. So there's this obsession with it, which yeah. I think was really interesting it, and dark. Because Miss Danvers, we we have no relationship with her beforehand. But, you know, her evil is all fueled by her obsession with a ghost. Yeah. And, and you know, she was, she had, she seemed to know all about her, Rebecca's um, fling with Favel. You know, she, she knew all about that. And she, mm-hmm. you know, she was... Support, supportive of that. Still sneaking yeah. him in? So, yeah, supportive of everything that, that she did. It was... Uh, yeah, and she's embodying the evil of, of the Rebecca. It's almost, yeah, it's almost like a single white female kind of kind of vibe to it. It was just this really, really unhealthy obsession that, you know, like she doesn't want to throw anything out. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to... She keeps the room just like yeah. it is. Like it's a... And then, and then like, the, the one thing that breaks her is that she realizes that the new... The, the replacement... Oh, isn't yeah. a re- isn't a replacement at all. It's a completely right. real and honest thing, and that's what that's what broke her. And you can see the affront on that, her face that, when she and that and she and that and she didn't and she didn't know that and that and Rebecca didn't tell her that she was terminally ill. Yeah, and that I think that 
hurt her <laughs> very I, much. They're very deeply that hurt her. Right, because yeah. I think she was her obsession with her was based off the fact that she knew everything about her. So the fact that there were still secrets from her. Yeah. It just little things like the, that, the breaking of the statue being that enormous of a deal. I mean, was one the of guy the, who owns the statue, which, which is so valuable is like, ah, you know, whatever. We'll try to Find fix the it. Pieces, if, yeah, if we can't fix it, then we'll throw it out. But you know, she doesn't know it, but it's just that the fact that the, that room. Yeah, was I, I, don't, I don't blame, I don't blame, uh, Miss, uh, Mrs. DeWinter for keeping it a secret. Agreed. Because this woman is mentally man. unstable. Yeah. You know? So uh, we're getting real deeper here. So before we get too deep, let's talk about what we're drinking here. Ooh, I, should I have a Peak Organic mm. Sweet Tarts Cape Cod Cranberry Sour Ale. So I got a little sour here. Big fan of the sours. I'm going, I'm keeping Long Island. I have Long Island uh, Celtic Ale. Okay. Nice. Long Island's, the good people at Long Island, second appearance on the, on the cast. I like it. Well, this is a dark movie. One with a stout, one with Left Hand Brewing Company's Milk Stout. Very nice. Which I finished, and I have to get something else. <laughs> that's, that's the last one I had in my fridge. Left Hand Stranger Salad Brewery. <laughs> okay, so I do. I like right that scene where she breaks the statue. Which I really I love that whole her introduction to that little. I guess it's an office. It's or, a morning room. They call it. Morning room. Yeah. Where okay. she does her correspondence, and it still has Rebecca's all yeah, all her stuff in there. All, She's like, supposed to work in this. The right. phone rings up. Uh, Mrs. Yeah, Winter's dead. You yeah. know, <laughs> you're, you're Mrs. Yeah. yeah, it's she's so she's so. Surrounded by the fact that she's not Rebecca, that it, it she has to convince herself that she's the new Mrs. De Winter. Right. Yeah, and I didn't write a ton of quotes down for this because I had a feeling that both of you would, but I did write one because this is arguably my favorite quote of the movie. And this is uh, Mrs. Danvers comes in and uh, explains that there will be house guests and that she has the menu set, but she left the, the sauce. sauce is blank because. Mrs. De Winter was very particular about her sauces. Yeah. Grant, how particular are you about your sauces? I mean, pretty particular. If I'm Joey? Honest. Not very. I am extremely particular <laughs> yeah. about my sauces. I yeah. want... I, I, many times I like the sauces better than the meal. I know? actually mostly go no sauce. Yeah. Let the food speak for itself. Hmm. And well, London, that to be dodgy. Huh? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> just, yeah, that's okay, does it? <laughs> but yeah, we, I will. I will take this time to say we actually had our first listener in New Zealand. Really? According to the stats, we had one listener in New Zealand. So shout out to whoever's listening down our, under our Kiwi friends, and we'll get Absolutely. a New Zealand beer for you next time. In honor. And I heard the food in New Zealand is lovely. By the way. Sauces. Sauces or no sauces. Now, I do want to just say that this just drives me nuts, and this is so un-American. When you go to a restaurant, let's be honest, a fast food restaurant here, Mm. and I sometimes I want to have multiple sauces here. I want a barbecue and a honey mustard. And why are you charging me for these extra sauces? You know, and then other times I only need one barbecue sauce, and you give me a fistful of barbecue sauces, and you don't charge me. You get all the barbecue sauces. Where's the consistency here with this? You ask, for, you ask for a ketchup and they give you two packets? Yeah. I it's mean, like, I need at least three. Come on. Give me the sauce here. Give me the sauce. Give me the sauce. Well, you would have gotten along with Rebecca. <laughs> Very particular about my <laughs> You sauces. and Miss Danvers. Miss Danvers would have yeah. loved you. She <laughs> would have come yeah, after Rebecca's you. like, I want the Wendy's sweet and sour, <laughs> not Burger King's. <laughs> if you give me McDonald's, I'll kill you. That's <laughs> Wendy's. McDonald's barbecue, Wendy's sweet and sour, White Castle marinara. <laughs> Uh, so re- redirecting here, we have we have our broken statue and our broken statue reveal, and 
I, I, there's something about that scene when they're in watching the home movies that was just very unsettling to me. I don't know what... Because there's the tonal shift, I think. Because it starts so good because there's this honeymoon that we don't see. They leave Monte Carlo and mm. then we see them driving. So then they yeah. had this whole honeymoon with ducks. And yeah. he's... Really the only time he looks happier smiling is in the video that she's mm. videoing him. Yeah, yeah or, or, re, or yeah, reminiscing right. about... Yeah. And it's all kind of in that very recent past because we don't know how much time's passing here. But then we get then there's the whole thing with the Cupid doll and the broken doll and Danvers and he he does tell her not to be scared of Danvers, which really ill informed advice. Yeah, <laughs> he is not scared enough. Yeah, of obviously that she burns down a house. <laughs> <laughs> she tries to get her to commit suicide, then burns down a house. But then oh, I love right, that scene. It's yeah. a great scene. But then right after his tone changes. Now we're not happy. This is well, over. Okay, and but, then well, she, she has to she switch. Brings, well, she, she brings up the fact that like she doesn't feel comfortable here, right? And she has, she doesn't want to be like an accessory to gossip and mm-hmm. all that stuff, and that kind of that's where he gets well because you know it, I think he feels that the more chatter coming from this house, the worse it is, you know, because he'll get found out, right? But again, it's it's we're watching that scene knowing that how he does really feel about her. It is interesting seeing that like maybe he does want her to go for her own good because... Right, the context different. Right. But it, early on during their courtship when she's, you know, they're laying down that she's an artist, she's sketching him and she says to him, you're a hard person to sketch. Your expression changes all the time. So I think that also goes into this scene, which well, is unsettling because that scene's probably four minutes yeah. long, but... It doesn't help that she can't really sketch very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, she's a... Te- like, they couldn't get us... So- yeah, that's... <laughs> it was like Napoleon died in <laughs> We, we have next where they go for the nice, we've talked, we've just referenced the scene quickly, but they take the dog for a nice little walk, and uh, the dog gets off his leash, and, and Mrs. DeWinter chases him, and they go down to the rocks and the beach, and the door opens, mm-hmm. and in they see Willem Dafoe from the lighthouse <laughs> pop out, <laughs> and we have this nutcase, who... Did you like my lobster? <laughs> <laughs> Is she coming back? <laughs> Well, yeah, um, that, was, that was that's the the boathouse, right? That's yeah. where the that's, that's where that's where it went down. Yeah, that's yeah. where it went yeah. down. That's where her affairs went down. That's where that's where everything so happened. Death yeah, was, the, yeah, the death like there was so much there. So you know, but he runs away in Ron Burgundy style. He channels his inner yeah. Ron Burgundy. But um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he, he creep opens the door with the bugged out eyes, who should have been with Cuckoo's Nest, right. and then she's like, "Oh, you have anything to leash the dog?" And just walks into this cottage. I mean. Her yeah, safety. Like, maybe, maybe he can just get you like some rope. <laughs> you don't have to go in there. And then now they're really hammering home that he uh, really flew off the handle there. He has a bad temper and he, <laughs> quote unquote, flies off the handle. Yeah. He becomes pissy. Yeah, now, real. At least he's not hitting her like 1940s, moody. you might expect. Yeah. But he just becomes, it's, he's just emotionally distant. Yeah, he just, uh, he just needs therapy. He just really needs to talk to somebody about his anger. Yeah, you should talk to Crowley, who's the yeah. most insightful man in the whole thing. Oh, he's, I, I love that character. He's even Crowley, he, you know, where, what does he say about her? Um, what Rebecca is the most beautiful person he ever did see, but he knows what happened somehow. Well, he's, a, he's, he's, he's the only one that... He's the guy. That Max could trust. Right. He's the guy. Yeah, and except for now it's him and Mrs. DeWinter. Yeah, and they had the house guest who was over who said, you know, put your hair back. Oh, God, no. His sister, put it, put it, his sister and the Giles, who was just the worst character. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of, 
he's just a buffoon. He's just, a rich, <laughs> he's just like a rich buffoon that just is completely emasculated by. I sure, so, I sure hope you don't like sailing. Uh, oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then you have the movie pictures. She's dressed like that ridiculous thick right. sash with the roses. I got a mate from London. I hope you don't mind. Why would you wear such a thing? Sir Lawrence Olivier, SLO himself, goes uh, goes away to England. And leaves her in the House of Horrors bond. Oh, <laughs> and, God. And, good l- and we good luck! <laughs> I'm, and, I'm going to London. Peace. And apparently, I don't know London geography too well, but I was reading that Cornwall is as far away from London as you can get, and it, you are not making it there and back in day. Corn- day. Okay, so, like, so actually... The south, like southwest. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so I'm awful with European geography, so like I take a moment like this to like learn something. Right. So yeah, as, as Grant said... Cornwall is in the southwesternmost tip right. of the United States. It's as far Kingdom. as so you're getting from it. Yeah, it's it's where you know, San Diego would be in, in the United States, right. jutting off. He's not getting there by his... It is directly south of Wales, which is like the coast of, mm-hmm. right over the juts out of the north. And it's directly west of London. So London's is is pretty much just as south as Cornwall, but it's on the other side. So it's, it's towards, oh, okay. towards like mainland. Yeah, I think it's, it's like, like towards France. slightly yeah. north, but it's straight west pretty much. Right. So yeah, it's it's a tri- it's a trip at that. Yeah, at that and he point. does that twice, I think. Yeah, the projector's really going to have to be rolling for that trip. <laughs> so we we now meet via window our good friend Mister Falvell, and he yeah. comes into the scene like uh, Clarissa explains it all's neighbor, Sam. and Sam pops right through the window. <laughs> I mean, just a creep off the bat. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. God. Well, invites invite himself in and yeah, through the just, window, just, just walks it through just the window. Swarming. Yeah, just really, like, really sounds like a like a Family Guy English yeah. English villain. Well, old chap. Uh, then, then he hiding. tells on her that he was hiding. She was behind. hiding behind the door. Right. You see, that's why you didn't see her. Uh, he's a very interesting character here, and yeah. he lets everyone know that he was Rebecca's favorite cousin. <laughs> and we learn that uh, favorite has a different kind of. Real favorite, but it also I mean, it's just back to Danvers, and then you know promises not to tell Max that they were there. Just the whole, just him coming in through the window and then going back out through the window. Just, he does he does that a lot. Just invites himself places, invites himself in uh, Max's car at the end, and all that stuff. Just he really overplays his hands throughout the entire movie. There's no subtlety to him as well, a person. Yeah, well, he's a dummy. I I got a kick out of that character that real Gilroy oh no it's, it's a great it's a great character he's just a scumbag yeah, yeah. Oh, total scumbag. the actor's name is George Sanders he's he's also in All About Eve which is another best picture winner who we'll we'll get to at some point a, a, a movie that's on the AFI Top 100 it's widely regarded as one of the better ones I think he's his voice is probably most known for he is the tiger in Jungle Book the Ridge? the, the, the cartoon? cartoon yes no kidding Shia Khan. Oh and, yeah, yes. Okay. So he's he he's plays got a great that. voice. Oh, and, wonderful voice. Oh, just just has that villainous. And it just seems that every time Joey comes around, the Batman villains come out to play. He played Mister Freeze on the Adam West Batman. Really? Oh, yes. Yeah, That's so. really interesting. Have you, have you guys seen the Adam West cart? Uh, the Adam oh, West yeah. one lately? I mean, I grew up on him. I haven't seen him. Really. IFC you, you plays have, him have, on Sunday mornings. My yeah, favorite I, was always the Mad Hatter. He was yes. always my favorite character. You have to, you have to watch it now because it's sarcastic. Uh-huh. And, like, I yes. didn't realize that as a kid. No. It's just, like, it's so it's super campy intentionally. Almost to the point where, like, Bruce Wayne is, like, insane 
<laughs> and he's just like this billionaire who wants to be a superhero. So everyone in the town is just like, okay, let's let him yeah. do his thing. Everyone plays along. <laughs> right. and that's how campy it is. It's, I gotta it's, check it it's out. When I was a kid, I, I I would like watch it and I was like, ah, whatever. I like watch it now when I catch it. I really enjoy it's it. So like, funny. and some of the bad guys, it's the so villains funny. are really funny because they're completely. You know, you have the standard ones, then you have like the Egyptian king. The Egyptian, yeah. <laughs> it's like, just that's like not some, a thing. he's just like some fat white guy. Right there, there's, there's there's a villain who's just like a seventy year old woman. I loved it as a villain. It's it's just mm-hmm. amazing, and I love that? that damn phone too. Just like yes. the red the red With, phone. What's that, what's that red phone on your desk? Oh, never mind that. <laughs> no, never mind that. That's just the bat line. Into, uh, it, 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 it's really good and it's just like funny yeah, and they're check. easy watches they're like 20 minutes yeah. each yeah check, yeah check that out uh, definitely, definitely it always starts with that. next time and then you can see King Tut fight Batman <laughs> King Tut <laughs> what will King Tut do he's always had some pretty questionable villains yeah. Be like as, as good as the Joker is and all that stuff he has like some really really terrible I think it's one of those syndicated shows. You have to, you have to just create so many villains now too. Oh, I know. To kind of fill the, yeah. especially they had so many episodes. You can't have the Joker being in every. He has to disappear sometimes. The Clock King is one. That's it's, a bad one. The Clock King. The huh? Clock King. Oh, there was two Mister Freezes. Is, is the Condiment King in this one, or is that just like in the, the comics? sauce? The Sauce Master. No, there is a, there is a villain. Rebecca con- comes back to the. Con- <laughs> There's 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 actually a condiment condiment king. king. Really? That's that's that was in the Lego Batman movie. (laughs) Jeez. So like they they lifted everything from real Batman villains. So our boy Favel exits stage window, and we're now going to move into the introduction of the West Wing. Mm. Big scene. This is what's the shift. Wonderful scene. Yeah, it gets gets to really see how preserved this place is, and and this is where you really see. Why Danvers hates Mrs. De Winter. Yeah. It's, you can see, like, this is... Well, you see Rebecca, the Rebecca was the whole world to Danvers. Yeah. And it really, it, it really really comes into... Like, if you if you thought Danvers was creepy before, now it's a whole a whole other level. And and she initially... Because when Mr. Winter goes in there, she opens the window. It's kind of like an excuse to go. And right. she's like, oh, I saw the window from the East Wing. And Danvers... I closed it before I left. Yeah. Like, she just calls her out. There's no subtlety to it. It's yeah. just like, listen. And just, I mean, it's a shrine. Yeah, mausoleum. To, right. Yeah. And, so, and it's just, makes her feel her coats. She combs her hair with a brush. And then she just points out the monogrammed... Um, the pillow. The pillowcase. It's yeah. just... Mr. Winter should be scared of her. And Maxim is a little naive here. Yeah, I, I, I think he just... Well, because she doesn't give him any shit. He's so preoccupied with everything else going on in his head. He has no ability to see... Yeah. Like things like five feet in front of his face, and, and I mean, I wrote down here the the music here is where it gets real reminiscent of like future Hitchcock movies, where it's just that like tense, that just like string it like hits your ear different. That like this isn't good. Like it's letting yeah. you know if you're not picking up on what the movie's telling you, the music's hitting you in the face now that this is a bad thing. And this is when Danvers tells her how much everybody loved her. Everybody loved you know speaking about Rebecca, and it's really just destroying whatever Mister Winter had. Right. Yeah, and you bring up the music too. That when every time Rebecca's name is mentioned, or there's a reference to to Rebecca, whether it's the R or they have a specific instrument mm-hmm. playing. It's the Hammond Nova Chord. The significance of the Hammond Nova Chord. It's the first ever synthesizer. Oh, so, interesting. you know, for all our music nerds out there, I know that there's at least one. Every time her name comes out, and that's that kind of, you'll hear it in those mid-70s, late-70s horror films. It's kind of got that wavy sound to it. 
There's a great video on YouTube for anyone who, who wants to know what I'm talking about a, a little more closely. You just Google Hammond Novacord Sweetwater Music. The people at Sweetwater Music who are, who are great if you're looking to buy any instruments online or anything. But they've restored like an old one and, and refurnished it and the guy plays it. It's like a half hour video. It's, it's like a real cool, a real cool listen. So I, I encourage anyone to check it out. And if you want to just reference the movie to see where it, where it is, you just... I think about a half hour in when they first bring it up, you'll hear it in the background too. But it really, happens anytime, every time throughout, yeah, right? Anytime that, that, particularly when Danvers brings up Rebecca, right. they'll cue in on that. And it's just another example of, of hit, how methodical Hitchcock is with his score. And because it really hits know. in your head, it connects, and you know, it's the music's letting you know. Now Danvers is really letting Miss De Winter know that she's not only fighting a ghost; it's a perfect ghost. She's fighting against perfection that can't be. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about Psycho in a little more depth, but I do want to just. Before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about the score. I think it's um, the number four score of all time, I think, in yeah, voting I mean, in the AFI list, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. I, I So when I was watching that that here this this week, and obviously the big scene comes up and I watched the scene, I instantly rewound it and then watched it again, just paying attention to the score oh, and how the score mm-hmm. went. <laughs> and then as you get a little later on, when he's cleaning up the bathroom, yeah. he's kind of recollecting himself. So, the music during that, incredibly tense, incredibly awesome. And one, th- one thought that I had on how a score can really change the feel of a scene and the feel of a, a, a movie. Here you have Bates cleaning up after his lose control murder. His mother's murder. Let's... Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> and he's cleaning up after this murder and getting every spot. And, get it. and they really spend a lot of time... Watching him clean this bathroom yeah. with this music back there, it's almost he's they spend more time with him cleaning than they did him doing the actual murder. Sure. The yeah. murder probably is a minute. The cleaning, you're there, you're watching him wipe the tub. You're even take putting the mop back in. There's a whole, there's this you know a quick cut of the mop bucket with the mop going in it. It's just and everything. that music just right. keeps it tense. And now I just want just for a comparison how music can change what's essentially the same exact scene but give it a completely different feel. You guys have both seen the the it remake. Yes, the latest. It I have not. Okay, so there's a scene in it where the kids have to clean blood out of the bathroom. Okay, there's the the. the I know which scene you're yeah, talking the, about. The clown yeah, yeah, comes yeah. and and causes a big in the girls' uh, apartment. Yeah, a big amount of, of blood in the yeah. bathroom, and only the kids can see it. Right, the adults do not. And in the book, it really is a moment of true bonding, and it's one of the kind of first moments that they really all come together and as a team and, and as a group of kids. And the movie films it so brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And the music that plays in the background, and again, they're doing the same thing that Bates is doing, and they're not covering up a crime, but they're cleaning a bathroom filled with blood. The music is this cure song, um, six different ways or seven, okay. seven different ways. And it just has this kind of bubbly vibe that just shows you that they're, you know, th- this, is, this is a group of kids coming together for a task. And they're getting over the fact of their fears, and they're getting over the fact of their blood. And right. the music really carries it and hammers it home. Okay. Which is when you're trying to do something like when you're adapting a book, and the book can really just literally tell you right. where you have to get that feel. So then you have two bathroom cleaning scenes that are doing completely different things, and the music carries them in each. I mean, the music in Psycho, just the whole thing, it never ends. It's relentless, and it really yeah. ke- keeps you tense throughout, even in nothing scenes. But the whole time it's there. But that bathroom scene, because I watched... From the murder all the way through the cleaning. I watched that twice, too, because just how long it goes and how just it makes you makes you watch. It just, yeah, I mean, it, I'm sorry to step on no, it. No, no, it's, no. Uh, 
it just it just shows you how like this isn't the first time Norman's done this. Yeah, it's cleaned up Jeffers. Very mother. efficient. So you can tell like, so okay, well now I gotta mop this out and I gotta do this and I have to get the car and I have to get the car back out of the swamp. It's so methodical. It's like he does this like once a month. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it, it just it kind of sh- shows you just well. This was how what crazy we, when we find out is. that the actual numbers are up, you know, for him. But I mean, just watching him wipe a tub. Shouldn't be as interesting as it was. Oh, sure. Now getting back to, to Rebecca, we're kind of moving into the third act here. Then you guys brought this up. You each brought this up already. Is when she wears the dress, goes down, comes back up, and now Mrs. Danvers is con- trying to convince her to jump out the window. Yeah. I mean, that's because, I mean, you know, going back, because what, it goes back to the morning room where she finds the stationery, and that's the first time Mr. Winter says, I'm Mr. Winter now, right? Yeah. She kind of owns herself in the same place, but then she gets the costume ball, and then just gets absolutely duped to wear the same costume. Yeah, why, why would you even trust her? Right. Why would you even trust her? But it just her? shows the neediness of identity and wanting to yeah. be yeah, and she accepted by this. I really want to be your friend. Right. She says that flat out to her, so yeah. I think it's just now she thinks she's finally opening up to her. She knows she has to live with her. It's not like she's right. going anywhere. Right. She, so she's doing her terror. Terrible sketches of costumes, Ooh, yeah, which are, I mean, what is she going to be, Joan of Arc? Or <laughs> The night where, like, it looked like something I drew in third grade. Right. Like, her arm is eight feet long. It's just... But then she tells, and she's so excited she has it specially made, and it's like, what are you doing? So yeah. we kind of go from this place where, for the first time, we see this woman, Mr. Winter, empowered and kind of taking over her own identity a little bit at all. You're just trusting the wrong person out of just once again going back to that just uncertainty yeah. and insecurity that that's plagued her. I mean, again, this woman doesn't have an identity. Yeah. She it was her mom died, then her dad died, so she doesn't know what to do for a year. She becomes a friend for money, and then she becomes Mr. Winter. She yeah. never has an identity of her own. It's always sure. something else. So she finally kind of owns it. I'm Mr. Winter now. Oh great. Okay, but now she's gonna dress like Caroline De Winter, trust the absolute wrong person. Yeah, and then she's back to square one, reminding Max of of Rebecca. The look on everybody's face, and then his sister says, "Rebecca," you know, just out of shock. Yeah, he's like, yeah. "What? What?" And is... then, yeah, and then just sheer embarrassment, and right. he, he does not handle it well. No, and good then old, just what good old SLO is just not, <laughs> not happy with yeah. what's going on here. And she storms up, and now Danvers has her at at, at a weak point. You got that open window there, and she's just trying to jump. And yeah, doing her. Yeah, you, doing have, her you, have nothing, you have nothing to live for. If you, if those of you who were listening last episode where we talked about the X Files pusher episode, just <laughs> kind of doing that jump, jump. You can do it. You can do it. And almost gets her there. You kind of see that glazed over look, right? Stay, the, stay by almost, the fireworks. Like the tears kind of stop, and there's just almost this re- resignation to like this is yeah. it. Luckily, the fireworks happened, like you said, because you don't know what it happened. No, I'm not convinced she wouldn't have had much more than a broken arm jumping out of Well, that's, that's not much of a fall. It's, it's a, two, it's a two-story fall. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Unless she goes head first, she's just going to be uncomfortable yeah, for six weeks in a cast. Like uh, and then look up and go, what the hell, man? What are you trying to get me to jump out the window for? Yeah. yeah, I thought that too. But for the context of Miss Danvers wants her to kill herself, I think yeah. that's the conversation. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, the, yeah. you know, if she would have jumped and died, that's a whole other silly conversation of just I mean, it's really... You know, the, the fall from the second window to the floor is probably only like six or seven inches, you know, because it is a, it is a miniature. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a museum for ants. Um, so, yeah, we get our little firework off. Everyone's storming to the beach. Uh, that scene was just so tense. And I mean, that's, yeah. Danvers goes from because she's so 
in her, she's so subtle in her evil the whole time. Mm. Where you're kind, of, and then there she's she overtly just, evil. Yeah. What she's do you have to live for? He doesn't love you. You might as well go. Yeah. Do you think that Danvers really thinks that Max doesn't love her, or do you think it's just she doesn't care? I think she knows that Max does love yeah. her. Okay. And that's the issue because she wants her out. She even she says that's fair. Because during that's fair. during the initial kind of argument, she says to Mister Winter, Danvers says, "You can't fight her. You can never fight her." Right. Like saying, like, no matter what you lose to her. So I think because she knows that Max does actually love her, where he never actually loved Rebecca, right. that as this goes, the, the, the specter of Rebecca eventually kind of fades away. Okay. Yeah, Liv, yeah it's, it's the embodiment of, of Rebecca's Mrs. Danvers. And I don't know how tight Mrs. Danvers is with, with Max at this point, too. Probably because, not very. Yeah, because you got to remember, too, is... This Favelle character is in her ear because she's the only one who calls him by his first name. Yes. You know, she's calling Jack, Jack, yeah. you gotta, Jack, you gotta. And so, and he's obviously on to. He knows what's on going to on. Too, so you well, he doesn't really that, pick that up till later, though. You see that in the inquiry, you kind of see the. Gotcha. The, the kind of the, right. the light bulb in the back of his head based off the letter. But still, she's hiding things from Max. She's calling Jack the first name. When she knows what he was doing. That Jack and Rebecca had the affair. She knows that. So she's doing these things behind. Because really, when do we see Miss Danvers and Max interact? I can only think about the broken Cupid and at the first intro in the house. Is there? I can't really remember other yeah, times they interact. Said too, he's really. like, ah, you don't have to worry about her. Right. He just kind of doesn't. He dismisses he, her. Yeah, he dismisses her. He's not really toned in on what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, one of the big things that I loved about the following scene was the uh, the search party scene. Was just the the atmosphere and the way it looked. It's everything covered in mist, everything just yeah. shrouded in uncertainty and all that. Everyone's, these bodies running around all over the place. It was really one of the like honestly, visually like one of the like the top ten looks for me in any movie. I, I I fell in love. Like it was just I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I agree with you because it it was really good at being chaotic. Letting you know what's going on with a lot going on and just looking great at the yeah. same time. Like it did a lot without doing much. Because I mean, it's a small stage and it's a beach with some and the sure. fog and everything. It just made it feel just like there was just hundreds of people running yeah. around. Yeah, it, uh, uncertainty is is a great way to put it because it's just it, you're you're left wondering too. It's like obviously there's a shift in the narrative here coming, and he he gets you going. He gets you going with right. that. And just that mist and that the lighting, it just yeah, very it's heavy. Yeah, right. very yeah, you feel like you can feel it. It was like underlit, so the fog felt thicker mm-hmm. on top. Like it yeah. felt like it was on top of you, and on top of them. And yeah, and this kind of goes into probably I would think I could safely say the most significant scene of the movie, plot wise. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I mean, it's the turn. Yeah, this is the big. This is the bulk of the. Of this the movie is this here. is this is the big reveal. This is where you learn kind of, you know, like Grant had said earlier, this is where you learn kind of reshape the first hour and a half of the movie and how he treats her. It just, yeah, it's everything. Of, and it I, I want to make a point here with this because this there was kind of a shift with both characters for me and both actors too. Joan Fontaine's role in this movie, she was cast and she was cast despite the wishes of Sir Lawrence Olivier. He wanted his then-girlfriend... Vivian Lee, who right. know from Gone with the Wind, he wanted her to have the role, and Hitchcock went with Joan Fontaine instead. And Olivier was was pissed, 
and made sure everyone knew it and was super cold to Joan Fontaine on set. And Hitchcock loved this and played this up and even got in her ear and told her that the cast doesn't like her and this to keep to herself because he wanted her to embody that feeling just like she has if she's in, in the in the mansion, which is, you know, it's kind of a, it's an aggressive and messed up thing to do, but, you know, he wanted to get her in it the It brings mind. out the emotion. Yeah, and yeah. we talked about, uh, Joey, you and I, when we were discussing The Shining during the One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest mm -hmm. episode, similar to what right. Kubrick was doing Tortured her. with Shelley Duvall. <laughs> right. Yeah, just really getting her in the state of the mind that he wanted the character in. We'll see it again with Billy Wilder in the apartment. Uh, he does the same to Shirley MacLaine. I really enjoyed her performance in this, and her performance really resonated with me. She, first of all, she's beautiful, and mm -hmm. she she was radiant mm -hmm. in a black and white movie, which is not easy to no, to do. No. Uh, you, you really got a sense for her beauty, and, and some of these some of these black and white movies, you don't always get it. You don't always Things get it. Things get lost. She was, lost yeah, yeah and, and she was radiant in this. I thought, and you totally got her tenseness and facial believability and. I, I really, really enjoyed her character. She was extremely vulnerable in this. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Like, throughout. And she played it, you know. Yeah. Because when you first see her crying, it's after everything. And it's yeah. just so much. And But, it's, and, you know, it still, it's, still begins to go back with her saving him, you know. And it's, it's really hard to have such an abrupt turn in a character and have it be believable. Yeah, and that's going to lead I, me to my next point. But fin finish up. I, and I, I, think, I think she kind of pulls it off. I feel like it's... It happens in such a way where I'm, where I was on board. Yeah, where I was on board with it. I, her character hit a little bit of a wall for me in okay. the scene, whereas I loved him in the scene, and his, his character kind of took form a bit for me sure. in this scene, where I was kind of like unsure about where where we're going with this character and what, what I really thought of him. Makes sense because. He was acting within the acting. You know, right, but right. You don't, you're not supposed to know where he is because he has an untold story. Her response to his revelation to me, I, I kind of, she kind of lost me a little bit with it. Okay. Um, I don't think it was, I don't think it was bad acting. It just, she was in such a place with her character before this, and I guess that there's the jubilation of being free from the concept of Rebecca mm -hmm. and the grasp of Rebecca. And that's obviously what she was playing off of. I liked it better the second time, but the first time I was a little taken out of it. Well, the second time it kind of hit me again where she started to get a backbone before the costume party. Right. I so it was now. So the foundation was there for her to, mm -hmm. to kind of conquer all of this and be her own self. Yes. And then when she realizes that I'm not fighting against a ghost because all I really care about is how Max sees me. And since I know that that's not the case anymore, mm -hmm. I can really be myself and I can, I can find myself and, and I, I don't want this to end. I don't want this to be ruined now that I have what I want. See, I actually love that because I thought when he said, he's like, you thought I loved her. No, I hated her and her reaction on the second time. I was like, Oh, she's realizing that he's been this way, almost protecting her because he does love her. And now they could actually move forward. He's, she's not fighting this person. She might, you know, she got past kind of the Danvers suicide force forcefulness. She finds out that Maxim actually does love her, so now she's actually able to move forward. I thought it was much. It was the first time I was thrown, but the second time I was like, okay, I get it. It, it comes back to the scene when they first have breakfast together, where she talks about his father's painting, and mm -hmm. she says that my father only painted the same tree. Right, and he's like, well, why would you do that? He's like, well, if you find something that you 
or a place. If you find some, you know, something or a place that you truly, you truly love, you don't want to move from there. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was kind of her, her mentality and his mentality too, where yeah. he didn't want to get rid of, he didn't want to get rid of Mrs. De Winter, and she didn't want to get rid of him. Yeah. They were each other's tree, so to speak. Right. Yeah. He had a theory that if you find one perfect thing or place or person, you should stick to it. Do you okay. think that's very silly? And then Max says, no, I'm a firm believer in that myself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I guess the, the one part of it that I just was kind of a little, a little scratch my head at is, is he basically like, he's like, I, I killed her, you know? <laughs> and her reaction is like, okay, you know, is that, I, I could still work with this. Is like, that, is I, that, I didn't, there, I didn't, there wasn't like shock there. It was kind of like, she just, I think it was yeah. relief. I think it was released well, more than yeah. Shot. Well, when when there were more the details were released right, that he yeah. didn't actually, I mean, but like he kind of said it. He said it in that Todd Bu- that, like that, I, uh, I, that I that Bundy, there. you know. Uh, I, put, I killed her. I put her there. Yeah, that's what I put her there. I put her there. Well, how'd you know he was like in a, the hole? That's like a dun dun dun. But there was no <laughs> dun dun dun. It was it, just it she was just like yeah. Well, there was, but not in her face though. Not her reaction. She was just kind of like. Okay. I mean, She's kind of like Tony Moore. She was patient also, with him, but you're still kind of cute, <laughs> you know. Is, you're still this, a billionaire yeah. in the forties. This is this is also this is also a woman that was going to kill herself an hour early. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Her you know, context of like, death might yeah, be a little like, different. So I think I think honestly, her yeah, her old things like warped right now. Right. That was my Efron Bundy kind of look. That I kind of got that. That, that <laughs> she she let him tell his story. They, they yeah. she built well, up she enough heard trust. Him out. God, I mean, yeah, that's true love. You know. Because then we get into the Maxim part, where the story about Rebecca. I love this part. Right. So I mean, so he says of Rebecca. This Re- is it. I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. I'll let me let you go, but. This I rewatched this about this whole little monologue the, or, or the this camera, whole, or the camera work. Yeah, yeah. I Ooh, I rewatched so this like three times so just to really take it in and and I, yeah, just so from her go. from her saying to Crawley, "Where's Max?" until them leaving the cottage. I watched that four times. Yeah, yeah. So each 100%. time I watched, I watched it twice. One thousand. And he starts telling the story of Rebecca. And that Rebecca said to him, "I'll make a bargain with you. You look rather foolish trying to divorce me now after four days of marriage. So I'll play the part of a devoted wife, mistress." Of your precious Mandalay. I'll make it the most famous show place in England if you like. And people will visit us and envy us and say we're the luckiest, happiest couple in the country. What a grand show it will be. What a triumph. Then he talks about how when he first, when she first saved him on the cliff in Monte Carlo, that was where their honeymoon was. And they just go into the whole story and everything and how she was pregnant and just everything that kind of rolls into itself. And I, it was unbelievable. World class acting. Yeah. yeah. That's oh, really? That's, that's why Lawrence yeah. Olivier. That's why people know him today. Yes. That the uh, that one part where he's explaining the breakdown of how she died. Right. The step by starts, step starts on. It starts with no one on the couch, and then he's like, "She came over." The camera pans up yep. and starts walking yep. towards, like, like following. It's it's like told, like, it was like, like watching fo- a ghost fo- move. A ghost. Right. And it was. And it, it, Rebecca became. That's how Rebecca was a character. Through it was brilliant. Like you Dan can see her, you see her without to, seeing her. Right, and now they're brilliant. literally walking like you're watching a ghost walk through. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. And then they're telling this story about just how this. Well, I mean, watching this scene, I want to know what you guys think. All I could think of is that Rebecca is Amy Dunn from Gone Girl's grandmother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all I could think of. Yeah, that she, you know, Rebecca was very Gone Girl. Yeah, she was very Gone Girl. Like, think about yeah. every, you know, I, ju- I just happened to watch Gone Girl a week ago, yeah. for, uh, again, for some reason, but faking a pregnancy, 
everything for image. Which, everything yeah, it, was it, fake. It's all, it was it's just all, all a, about identity. Right. It was an identity. identity it was an identity marriage. And then she said, you know, she loses it and she becomes Gone Girl because he didn't hold up his end of the bargain. So I'm yeah. watching this. I'm like, Rebecca's Amy Dunn's grandmother. Yeah, just a power scene. Uh, boy, that camera work was just killer. And we said right out of the gates here, you know, the title character is not in the movie, but. She's, she's in the movie. She's, 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 movie. she's yeah. a very present antagonist. Yeah. So, we're, you know, we're moving into, the, that's kind of the start of our third act here. Favell is inquiry. now. Yeah, the old inquiry. Favell yeah, so is now back full blast. The boat builder is the first one who really kind of throws it. And you see Favell's, you know, the light bulb look up and he's like, oh, okay. There's the holes being being from the inside, so it's not suicide. And then, you know, that kind of changes everything. With Mr. Winters, her fainting. I don't know why she would go to her husband's. Yeah, the Deaton. That's what's wrong. Yeah, it's like no, you're gonna go to jail for murder. That's what's wrong. Also, in 1940s, rich people don't get off on murder like they do today. What happened? (laughs) You guys the richest person in England. He's going to jail for murder. Yeah, yeah, but Eden, that's what's wrong with you. It's like what? And we've seen this in Psycho too. Hitchcock's characters are incredible at interrogating and not good at all at being interrogated. No, because when, yeah. when Max, this this polished guy, this real estate billionaire who has money for. I mean, money forever. The second they start asking questions, he just gets pissy. I know. He can't handle and I, it. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's, now, you've got to promise, don't lose your cool up oh, there. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose. And then he's up there and you just say, he's like, he's I'm like, going to lose my cool. Fly it off the handle. He's, he's like, uh, did you know why your wife would want to kill herself? No, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. Uh, I fly off the handle from time to time. Oh, look, I made you cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of tears, right? Rebecca laughs at him. He cries when she's fake pregnant. He's crying because he oh, can't handle. God. I mean, just him falling apart. I was like, what is he doing? <laughs> I mean, you got to be concerned about someone's mental health who cannot control his anger while under oath in trial. You know, like, is he even under oath or there's is it just them asking questions? Uh, how's he going to control How's he gonna control his anger it's when very, he's sitting on his couch and his wife's yapping him while he's trying to watch the baseball game? You know, like, it's, a very, it's a very, it's a very lax court. Let me just say that. It's yeah, just like, well, it's an inquiry. It's an inquiry. It's, it's not a court. He just he just falls apart, and yeah. then you see Jack kind of figuring things out like very quickly. There, all right, the holes are from inside. Jack uh, Max is falling apart. The second well, yeah, he has because, one question, yeah. the wife's fainting. <laughs> it's just chaos. Yeah, Max, well, Max like, is telegraphing everything right. like a Mark Sanchez pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, blindside attack on Mark Sanchez. Got him. Ooh. Hashtag butt fumble. So we're moving. Now we go into the car, right. and I think this is where I really hate Jack. Because he starts oh. eating the chicken, then he you puts don't the bones another, back. You don't know when he throws the bones out the window. No, no. He puts the bone back, talks, starts to blackmail, picks it up, finishes the chicken, and then throws the oh, bone okay. out the window. What are you like, to what an animal! Yeah. <laughs> you don't eat another man's chicken. First of all, they have a picnic in the back of a car set up, talking about murder. Well, and then this guy just shows, like, what the fuck? Well, did you ever hear the... Well, um, how do you feel about Jeremy Renner? <laughs> well, Jeremy Renner's Since role. are throwing blindsides out there, you know. <laughs> Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner was Jeremy Renner. Was he better in Big Short than he was in Rebecca? He was Jeremy Renner. He's Jeremy Renner in all movies yeah. except Hurt Locker, apparently. I mean, he was great in the town. I'll he was great it. in the town. He was great in the town. I'll just say that. Hawkeye, leave him alone. <laughs> so we get our little blackmail scene. You get the chicken bones. <laughs> the, the disgusting. I was so. I was like. I was, I was so. Yeah, I was so mad at Jack. Like. 
Listen, you're taking someone, you're taking the picnic from this woman who just fainted. They're eating unheated chicken, and then he puts the fucking bones back, throws it out the window, blackmails, and then, I don't know if Max is stupid, ethical, or what, he just tells on him right quick. He's like, this guy's trying to blackmail Yeah, I actually, I thought I'm that sur- was I'm interesting, sur- too. I'm surprised like, he did that. I, I'm yeah. going to say it was an ethics move, that he was like, you know what, I'm not going down being a scumbag, I'm not letting this guy win, even if I'm, I get I'm fucked, not, he's not, going down, too. I think that's what it is, it's a, yeah. matter, it's a matter of pride. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to, like... I'm not letting I, him. I'd rather serve my, yeah. rest my life in jail right. than give you an upper hand. Because yeah. what does Jack say? Yeah. Like, oh, how do, how do you get rich and do... How do you get rich and do nothing? I don't want to sell cars anymore. I want to live in the country and yeah. do nothing all day, right? And Jack's like... And Max is like, no, 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 we're not doing this. So, yeah. I, I, I like it. He's not letting this clown it's a, it's get a power, the upper hand. It's a power yeah. play. It really is like a fuck me move. Like, yeah, and, and know, the way I mean, it was like, filmed, too, because I don't know whether it was or wasn't in the book, but it, it kind of had that Hitchcock type of mislead yes. to it where you think you're going into this long blackmail thing and then psh, nope cut it right off of the right, because I was like, right I was like oh, he's just, now. I was like this guy's a, he's going to London in a day for real estate moves he could give him wherever he wants he could give him a thing in the country he has all these tenants that get free rent for the month for the wedding right we see earlier yeah, in the he, brief he scene give him, he, give him he can easily give it to him but he's like no nah, no way fuck yeah. you Jack <laughs> you ate my chicken you're not getting yeah. anything <laughs> you were banging my <laughs> wife who I hated in my cottage on in the my beach. my cottage, and then you ate my goddamn chicken. So now we head off to... Wait, 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 what kind of sauce do you think they used for the chicken? Uh, <laughs> I think that was thrown on a grill with salt, pepper, nothing else. Yeah. Wow. It didn't look good. Yeah. Dry rub. I think it was real dry. Okay. I, yeah. And it was freezing I mean, cold because it was in a wicker basket all morning. Everyone may be just so fed up with sauces. <laughs> that they may just go. Once Rebecca right. died, sauces took a hiatus yeah. from all their lives for I a mean, year. I mean, they weren't on the menu. It was a blank, so... <laughs> Some people just get lost in the sauce. Okay. Sorry. So we're <laughs> we can just edit that out. <laughs> so we're we're headed to the to our old psychologist who's going to save the day or solve the solve the puzzle. Jack pulls out his his note. Meet me at here. This doesn't look like someone who's going to suicide. Then they go to a doctor, and we get kind of a real scoop. Well, 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 they, well, they well get, Miss Danvers well, comes in. Well, first. they have to use Miss Danvers to get to the doctor. He's miss, he pulls in Miss Danvers. They're in the bar. They go to a bar. They're drinking brandy and sodas during a blackmail it's argument with a cop. It's very cordial. And the co- and the cops just take just going to Jack, be like, blackmailers a, go to prison. He's a bad cop. He's a terrible though. cop. But he had He's like, yes, I suppose you should come with me. He's like, no, this is a closed investigation. What are you doing? <laughs> well, they're, they're in an inquiry. They're on, a, they're on a lunch break from an inquiry. You're investigating, like, a possible murder right. now. They're, okay, yeah, come on. Come on. Oh, oh, during a lunch break of an inquiry, you know what we should do? We should do uh, brandy sodas in the back of this bar and not do it in the official manner. Like, what are you doing? Ugh. Did Favel seem really excited talking about Rebecca dying? Like, his tone did not match the fact that, like... I think he was excited about the prospect of Max going to jail. Okay, so it was more tra- that... Yeah, he's been trying to get this guy for yeah, all this time. I, I, think, I think it's more... So it's more, just more that than I the think death. it's more he's trying to get revenge on, on Max. Okay, fair enough. And now we get yeah we get to the we get to the, the doctor's office here. Which, and, the cop rode with Jack. Yeah. Why? Bad cop. <laughs> Bad cop, bad cop. And then we have this doctor. And the just, doctor's going to save the day and kind of, after we figure out that he did. He's going to spill the beans. Yeah, just, it's, it's a big Scooby-Doo finish. And what about Rebecca using Danvers' really name? Did. Remember Danvers' name for years with this doctor in London. Yeah. But even, I don't know, HIPAA, you know, someone who works in healthcare, I'm thinking about, you can't say anybody's name for anything. He's like, oh, yeah, Jack, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, Joey R was here at 9 a.m. Grancy was here at yeah. 10. Kieran B was here at 11. <laughs> and, <it's like> the, <laughs> and, they all have their, and they're all dying. That's they like, all have terminal cancer. That's like the, the Kirby enthusiasm where Larry's talking to his psychologist and the psychologist goes, 
Well, you know, I once saw this director. I'm not going to tell you who it, who it was, but let's just say he directed Star Wars. <laughs> and he had a real problem with prostitutes. And Larry goes, well, that's George Lucas. He's like, well, no, I didn't say that. He goes, of course, of course everyone knows he directed this car. What are you saying to me about other people? You know, like, yeah. what is so. But, I mean, like, HIPAA, now, it's confidential. You can't tell anybody anything that's is anyone's that, is, over is, is HIPAA... Worldwide, or is it just? It, it was not. It was useless in nineteen. It was not well, a thing in nineteen forty. That's yeah, all we. But I mean, yeah. right now, if somebody calls me and says, "Hey, is my son there?" I can't even say the person is is or is not a client, let alone tell them what their history yeah, is. He's sure. like, "Oh yeah, no." <laughs> like, yeah, because he asked me. He's like, "He's like, I have the information here." He's like, "Should I say it?" The cops like, "Yeah, you should." Say it. <laughs> <laughs> is this official? The cops like, "Yeah." This guy might not even be a cop. I think he might just be like a like a mall guard or something. I mean, he was terrible. Was he just security at Mandalay? I don't know, man. He was. <laughs> He was terrible. <laughs> Josh, she wasn't pregnant. I mean, the look on Jack's face, just the defeatedness of Jack, and then well, yeah, he realized he lost. Oh yeah, that was like that was totally like the guy who the guy whose box is all lined up to win the Super Bowl final score, and, like and he just six. needs the time to run out. Yeah, and then there's a pick six. Like, ah, no, no, <laughs> and then and then yeah, he just he just throws his, his little index card in the ground, and then then he just leaves, and that's, that's the end. Of him. Never saw him again. Yeah, and then, you know, when we kind of think that this thing's all wrapped up, you know, we then get the return to the old Mandalay. Yeah, Mr. Winter wants to stay up, but then we see Jack call Danvers and be an asshole to a cop about parking wherever he wants, which (laughs) unnecessary. Like, if we didn't know Jack was a scumbag yet, they really let us know what that last scene. Yeah, yeah. he was just like, I can't park wherever I want. Oh, I love that. Dude, I'm so glad you brought that up because I forgot to write that down. Where's you, it, where, what, when can we take the power back with parking here? With this? <laughs> like, oh, uh, you really can't park there. Ah, park wherever I want to like, you know, I can't even like stop for two seconds. I'm like, you're getting a ticket. I'm like, I'm still in the car. Right? I can just drive away. Yeah. Nope, nope. We're giving you the. I already started writing it. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, jeez. And Jack's just belittling. You your break for too long. You're right. Yeah. Get a ticket for... But then Jack even says t- to the cop, he's like, well, if you want a used car, come call me. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you question where I'm parking my vehicle? I thought you could park wherever you wanted. And then he calls Danvers, and we see Danvers. Well, yeah, yeah, first you see her next to a, looking at a sleeping Mrs. Right. DeWinter, and you're like, oh. Right. <laughs> and then Max and Crawley just driving back in, like, what, I mean, what did Hitchcock go up to, like, 13 speed to get the car back it's in time? Like that. And then, you know, then you just, <laughs> it's well, too early uh, for the Northern well, Lights. The Northern Lights, yes. Yeah. And yeah, the old Mandalay's on fire. And now, I actually talking about the effects. I thought the roof caving in was pretty. Oh, cool. awesome. well, so that was pretty coming good. down on. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought that was, that was really. really I thought the the fire was great. Even yeah. uh, when we saw the winter, uh, D- sorry Danvers, um, kind of losing her mind, like her hands up. And she was chaotic for the first time. She couldn't be in there without him. I thought that was really interesting. You know, she'd rather destroy Mandalay than see anyone happy in Mandalay without Rebecca. All is lost. Like now, now she can like she's convinced that Rebecca killed herself. Right. And I mean, even though that wasn't the case, that's what she believes now, and it's right. a, a, an incredible betrayal on her part. I would have liked to have seen more. Like my my one big criticism of the movie is that it's such a hard, and I understand that you need it because you gotta have to wrap up the story. But it's such a hard tonal shift. Big time. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of loses me because I love I loved the atmosphere and the feeling and the suspense within Mandalay's, Mandalay's walls. So it was being outside of it for so long kind of... T- it didn't take me out of it, but I, I wish I was in there more. So I, I would like to have yeah. seen more... Maybe less of a, the, the inquiry. 
Maybe yeah, kind of like, shaved it, down it's on just, that. Yeah. I guess they don't want to just brush through that. I mean, like, how did this guy get off? And they, 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 had, to, they had to see Jack's, revel- Jack's kind of light bulb go on. They had to show Max fall apart and the unnecessary. But I see what you're saying. I like because, your. I like what you said too, though, with that with taking out of it too, because the movie starts with the Mandalay and it and, yeah. and it's a creepy gothic form, and that's where it ends. But like, it does end kind of abruptly. It takes mm-hmm. you back to it a little quickly. Yeah, yes. and, and I would I would have liked to have seen more with Mrs. De Winter coming home. Uh, yeah, and then like. Like wanting Sorry. to stay up and one, wait. Like one, one last interaction between yes. her and Mrs. Danvers. I agree. Not just her sleeping. There. Yeah. I think, here's the thing. The movie was two hours and 20 minutes. I would have happily liked five more two, minutes. Two, two, ten. Was, two yeah, ten, whatever. Even, yeah. Five more minutes of them having one last interaction in the house other than like the lack of subtlety, her staring over her with the giant flame. Yeah, I don't think you want it too long. I think, I think yeah. you know, you don't want to get five to that two and a half mark. No, five minutes maybe. They could have cleaned up a little bit of the inquiry stuff. Even even in the I, beginning, you like the sailboat guy didn't need off. five minutes. The sailboat stuff, like, I feel like the thing at the bar can kind of been skipped over. That could have been tightened up. But well, we didn't and need even the first half hour. Sodas. Right. Even the first half hour, you can kind of move that, through. Well, a you kind of have to build a relationship, and that probably made though. more sense with courtship eighty years ago, where they were probably like, "Oh, building a relationship." For us, yeah. it was like, "Oh, this is." We would have seen it fast, no matter what they do. So you could have taken out five yeah, tennis lessons true. for us. Yeah. But in the forties, it probably made more sense contextually. Yeah, did you did you guys see Life is Beautiful? I have not. No. no. Okay, so not going to be relevant to this conversation, but we talked a little bit about it last week, and that movie, like the first forty minutes, is just him, you know, trying to date his wife and trying to get her to accept him, and then the the relationship they build, and then the family they build, and it really kind of builds up and plays into what happens in the other part of the movie when essentially they all are, are taken into concentration camps. But I, that that was another one where it it. Really, that first thirty minutes, while it felt mm-hmm. slow the first time you're seeing it, it pays essential off. It, to it the, pays essential off. to the story because yeah. you need to build the, the the heart between the two characters. Right. I thought there could have been a little more heart in these characters, but I guess it does make sense but as you, there is that wall there. But it's also it's also that, and it's also do you think that is just because it was made in 1940 and dynamics were different back then? Yeah, that could be it too. You know, I mean, I I, right. I, I don't I think the idea of a of a of a husband that was working all the time and barely talked to his wife. I feel like that <laughs> yeah. was more commonplace yeah. in the 40s. So maybe that was just kind of re- represented the time. Okay, so just wrapping up our conversation on Rebecca a little bit here. I, I'll speak for myself. You know, you guys can chime in afterwards. This is, this is an impressive film. For a movie made in 1940, it engaged me. It interested me, intrigued me. I was pretty impressed, and even more so than my first time watching it. I, I, I remembered liking it, but this time I, I really, I really loved it. Yeah, I mean, I had never seen it. I never really heard from it, heard about it much. Um, I thought it really held up. I thought it was just a really good story. And when you have kind, you know, the lead, the lead character fighting against a character that's not there in this kind of battle over life and death without one of them being there, um, I think he nailed it. Yeah, I thought this movie was really good. It holds up. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, that both my wife and I watched and we we enjoyed and we kind of sat intently and watched the whole whole thing and I think a lot of it the, the acting is incredible. Yes. The visually it's striking. And I feel like a lot of this, you know, it's it's always good when themes of a movie hold up to today's standards. Yeah. You know, the idea of belonging, wanting to belong, wanting to be your own self, but wanting to fit in, that's still 
completely rings true today, and right. I feel like that really benefits the movie. Plus the identity stuff. I mean, we have a person who doesn't have an identity versus someone whose At identity all. is yeah. taking over everything. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it just really hits on things that are yeah that are universal. Sorry. Uh, one thing I just take out of this conversation too is just you you know Grant before when you're when you're when you were going through her her being Mrs. De Winter. And the dress and trusting Mrs. Danvers, why she's still trusting her. And it's just, that's how deep she was in of wanting to yeah. be accepted mm-hmm. yeah, and sure. wanting to live up to this name, Rebecca. Like and there was just a need to get approval. Yeah. Yeah, need to fit in. In her own home. Right. There's something she and wakes up every day to, goes to bed every yeah. every night to. And ironically, that was the one thing that Max loved the most about her, is that she didn't fit in. Yeah, and that she wasn't Rebecca. Right. So we're going we're gonna to move to our... Uh, BPC Awards here. I want to, before we do this, is something we kind of talked about throughout in our previous podcast. I want to kind of hone in a little more specifically. What what scene in this movie stood out to you the most, if it wasn't necessarily what you thought was the best scene in the movie? Just when in leaving this movie and exiting this movie, what scene resonated the most with you that you, you're going to kind of look back on and say, that scene was Rebecca to me? Joe, you want to go first? So... I think one of, like, visually there was one when we first meet um, the sister. I'm actually, it's on YouTube right now, I'm watching it. And where Mr. Winter asks the sister about Miss Danvers, and she says, oh, she simply adored Rebecca. And you see Mr. Winter's face turn, and the background just goes dark. And it's just a bright, super bright light right on the side of, right on the profile of his face. And I thought that was just a great scene. But I think my favorite scene is the scene in the West Wing, the... Why don't you kill yourself scene? I thought that was unbelievable. As good as the cottage scene that was in two minutes later was, I think for me it was that where we saw, because I think that was just, we saw the evil of Miss Danvers there. And that that scene really got me. And I think that was, the acting was unbelievable. Grant, that's very, that one's very close to me. I think my favorite scene is the, is the whole search party area. That to me is something that visually just sticks with me. That and, that in the cottage scene, obviously, but specifically the camera yeah. following the ghost of Rebecca. That, those two minutes, and then the fog can't go wrong. And that, and that that to me is what I'll always think about when I think about this movie. Yeah, yeah, good ones. Uh, for me, when I watched this uh, over a decade ago, the two scenes that I remembered the most, just in, in rewatching, like that stuck out. Oh, I totally remember that scene. I totally remember the scene. The the one of him retreating from the from her finding the the cottage. Mm-hmm with the dog and, and his reaction to that, for whatever reason, that one just stuck in my head. And obviously the house burning down in the end. Mm, sure. But to me, after this watch and really getting immersed with it this time, the, the scene that totally took me, and then I, I'm, I'm leaving this project with it really cemented in, in me, is that scene in the cottage where he's explaining to her about his honeymoon with Rebecca and the four days after he learned what she was really about and her, her, her evils, as he said it, and he doesn't even really go into what they were. Right, he it, doesn't it tell just, us what she said. You don't know what she said. You don't right. know what, how sinister this right. woman was, and it just leaves How do we not talk wonder, about that? Yeah, yeah what, what was there? And like I said, I watched that a couple times, and that's one hell of... A monologue by him, just really, right. he, his words were well delivered, and that was just super impactful, followed by just that, like you said before, with the camera panning up the couch and along the window right. and over to the tackle in the corner. It just, 
killer scene. Yeah. Killer scene Amazing. that it, it, it you you only hope that filmmakers today can be as effective as that was. And the subtlety of not telling us what it was that she said that made him realize how terrible she was. That they didn't say, oh, she did this when she was younger. Yeah. They just let it hang. And Yeah, they, 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 let, they let the audience wonder. And that's more effective. It's, it's more effective. Less, less, is, less is more. Yep. Yeah. You kind of, nothing's, nothing, is, nothing is more evil than your imagination. Yeah. Facts. And at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about the limits of filming something in 1940 and viewers today and how they may not resonate with something that was made many years ago. I can see the same limitations in movies today that aren't using mm -hmm. that same sort of subtle storytelling where less is more. And yeah. now they're sticking everything in our face with CGI. Right. And they can create any image they want to tell whatever story they want. And they don't let always let our imaginations tell the story too, which I thought this movie did a fantastic yeah, I, job. I, I don't yeah. need a, I don't need a flashback scene of Army Hammer hitting Boy. Lily Stewart in the new movie right. company. Like I don't need that. <laughs> like like you guys talked about. Like the camera does the work. Let that do the work. MVP, uh, Grant, I'm gonna let you kick it off for this one. Who was your MVP of Rebecca? MVP hands down was Mrs. Danvers. Okay, that was. Um, just absolute, an absolute menace and just portrayed brilliantly. Yeah. Uh, she elevated the movie to a, I mean, in a movie with these, um, I mean, she's, she's a, she's a dame, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, she's in a movie with Lawrence Olivier and I, I feel like she overshadows everybody. She does. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, you're in a movie with Sir Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. And boom. You're, and you're, and you're the most memorable part of it. Yeah. Joey? I'm going Mr. Winter. Okay. She fought a ghost. She fought something she was told she cannot be, win against, and she won. She was vulnerable. She was shy. She was scared. She was ride or die. She, she went against. She was across the board. Danvers was great, but uh, I'm going Mr. Winter MVP. Okay. Now, I think there were two unbelievable 10 out of 10 acting performances in this, and I think you named them both. Just both of those characters, those actresses, created an identity on on camera that was just it was it just it took you over mm -hmm. watching it sir lawrence olivier did a great job he was excellent especially toward the end when I mean, really the more scene, about he was. excellent great but the the two ladies took this over for sure and those are the two candidates for mvp to me i also went with mrs danvers to me that the the menace of that character the yeah. just it just was unsettling every step of the way and from, from when you first are introduced to her to when she's buried by the rubble in the end she is a presence in this movie that cannot be ignored i i thought i thought she was she was rmvp and this is, this is the first time we can actually have a a, yeah, like a, a compatible vote with sure. two out of three I like tiebreaker it. yes <laughs> lvp a little tougher with this one and, and it seems like this has kind of been pretty tough in a lot of these so far, which is a good thing. Although in Crash it was kind of tough because there was there, there were all so many choices. But usually <laughs> like <laughs> But this one is another one that's kind of tricky. I'm going to start off with this one because mine is not going to be either of yours just based on this conversation because I think you're both going to not react great to my choice here. I went with Mr. Crawley. Really? One. Oh, I love Mr. Yeah. Crawley. And I, he was the guy. I, I, I in having this conversation, hearing, hearing both of you guys talk about him, I'm feeling like maybe there's something I missed with him. 
and that could be he it. He protected Mr. Winter. He showed her what he does. He clearly knew, but he still had Max's back. So, How, let, why, me, why so let me give you mine, and, and I'm willing to concede if, if, it's, if, if I'm pushed up. You're, it already sounds like your list is going gonna, is gonna to be pretty prepared. I just felt like he was a character that was just a little more of a device than a real a real main presence in, in this story. Like an, expo- he, like an exposition machine? Yeah, he was there to explain to Mrs. DeWinter a little bit about the inner workings of what went on and the relationship between it. And I just, I, to me, I just didn't, I thought the actor did an okay job. It just, it, it, it was, this was a movie of performances and I thought that his performance was perfunctory and just kind of was not, it did not stand out amongst these, these massive roles. There seems to be a nuance with this character that I missed because you both of you guys came out pretty and were pretty happy with him. So t- talk to me out of that. Talk me out. So of that. I think his subtlety was kind of his strength that he he wasn't the main guy, but he was there because I, I mean, Frith, Miss Danvers, they were all jerks to to Mr. Winter, but he was the one. Oh, you sh- you sh- he showed her kind of around a little bit. He showed her the inner workings, whether it was to kind of push the story, but he was also the one who said about Rebecca that she was the most lovely person ever seen but he was also there for max he had everything ready he was the one with max in the car coming up to the fire like he was there at the important moments as a support to max he was the one who took care of things when nobody else could i was a big fan of him Hmm. yeah I i think in a movie like this where someone is so isolated even by her husband mrs Mm -hmm. winter is so isolated you need someone in your corner right and you need someone because otherwise like really what the hell are you doing there if you have no one to talk to yeah and the fact that she was someone that she can have she was the only one she can have an honest honest conversation with mm-hmm. i feel like that's important but I, I i do see your point about him just kind of giving exposition dumps but i feel like when you're introduced to a new world like mrs de winter was yeah. You kind of have to know the rules, right? The, right. Like the in movie rules, I mean, right? To set up the new world, that right? We're to set up because this is such a it's a foreign it's it's no different than someone going to another planet in a movie. You need someone there, right? Saying, okay, well, this is this is what they do. This is what they do. And you have a guy who's in and, charge of the estate in an instance like this, and, so and, it's and, not and like it, his it makes sense for his, it makes sense for his character to know all of these things, also. Right. Yeah, and and I just I just think he came across as a as a likable person. Yeah. One of the few throughout the movies I was actually a likable person. Right. And he was the only support to her. And also, I just looked him up, Reginald Denny <clears throat> in Batman villain, two separate villains. We was, have another Batman villain. Bring he was him King on. Boris Reginald. and Commodore Shidlap. Schmidlap. Of course. My favorite. Yes, of course. If you don't know about Commodore Schmidlap. But yeah, I think I think it was just a smart role. Yeah, and, and I, I, like I said, 20 minutes of this conversation when I saw you both glowing over this character. I'm like, whoop, I missed that. You know, and that's cool. That's cool to me. Like, that's I, 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 I want to what... miss something like that and, and have it out. So uh, who who wants to give their LV? Now I'm hoping you both have different ones here. So. I want Jack Favel. Okay. Overplayed Ooh. his hand. Just, just, Wait, are, are, the are, chicken bones really got me. <laughs> is this is this for, like, actors? Is this for the characters? Well, as... And we kind of did a, did a... I think a decent job explaining this last episode with, with the Shakespeare in Love episode is heels are going to be heels you know oh, you gotta let heels. a good heel be a heel so if, if the if the character pisses you off and annoys you I he's think doing he a good job hand. he's not your lvp i think he overplayed his hand i okay. think he went over heel i think he should have been lacked the subtlety of it he thought he was more bulletproof than he did i think he botched it i think he could have kept it out of the doctor's office and gotten maxim in jail if he 
was smarter about it. But do you feel like his the entity of his character is essential to the story? Sure. And did and he the performance wasn't didn't no, it was good. I just the, didn't like it. Okay. The fucking chicken bone. <laughs> <laughs> he, had went, get, he had get off my TV heat with you. Yeah. Okay. I went I went LVP with a different route this time just because okay. it got me. The, I like the actor. I thought he did good. I just yeah. think in that world, I think he okay. He just, think he, he, botched he, he couldn't. Yeah. He I just think couldn't look at it. If anymore. he didn't push the doctor part, I think Max goes to jail. I think, but he made oh, because nobody knew about this doctor in London. If he yeah. keeps his mouth shut about that, and he has that note that does not look like a suicidal person, and just brings that to the inquiry, and with Max overreacting to everything, I think Max is in jail for killing her. Yeah, oh, I, the D, the DA is really not right. happy with him over this. Right. Yeah. So I think he botched it. I think if he played this better, he's he takes over Manderley. Him and Danvers live happily ever after, just creating evil plots. <laughs> That's why he's my creating favorite. Batman villains. I yes, think, literally. Right? What, what what do you have, Grant? Well, I have an honorable mention okay. of uh, Lawrence Olivier smoking. <laughs> uh, that was not valuable whatsoever. Did you, did you guys notice that at all? I like didn't. he smokes like I guess like remember like your first cigarette where you don't inhale. Like you just like you pull it into your cheeks and just puff it, just blow and he, it out. And it was all like the side of his mouth. Like, so he was like talking, and, and like it almost it kind of took me out. He's like. And she said these these awful things. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I tell if you guys want to go back and watch that thing a third time, picture Ron Burgundy throughout the whole movie, and you will. It's, so it's, it's that's a, that's an honorable mention. But my LVP is uh, Edith Van Hopper, Florence Bates. Uh, uh, I I just I hated her delivery. I I understood half the things she said <laughs> with her with her prim and proper mid Atlantic accent. You know, yeah. I, I, but I, she I, played the role of introducing Max to. But that's that's fine, but I don't think she played it well. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Okay, and okay. I, I think her character is essential because it it, it bridges that gap. But and I, you got to be annoying to be that. Yeah, that right. I, but I feel like you can be annoying without with speaking clearly. Yeah, and okay. that's, that was that was kind of like that was kind of where I went with it. Because it, it's it's hard because in a movie like this, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. To find some, to find an it's LVP. Hard. Yeah. yeah, actually, right, you're right. Yeah, look again. With the, yeah, let's just specify. Least and most are the words we're working here. So sure. it's just the least valuable player amongst a bunch of valuable Great. players, sure. right? So it's not. It's a Hitchcock movie. Yeah. It's not gonna like right. we said with with Cuckoo's Nest. Right. You know, we had to pick uh, old Scatman. We love Scatman. We love we Scatman. Don't want to give him the LVP. <laughs> but it's a you know it's a it's masterful hard. piece you know of art. Might have the top ten movies ever made. You, you know, know who so. might actually be the LVP? The freaking cop. You know what? I think it might be the cop. Be he the let cop. chaos happen. There's an inquiry going on. They're on lunch because a woman faints, and next thing you know, they're drinking brandy sodas in the back of a bar, and he's bringing things. And now they're driving to London across. I England. mean, this guy can't even he can't even force a, a, a parking violation right. over this. You know, he's he's yeah, that might that might be. Yeah. I think yeah. See, now we all came in trying to find an MVP, and our conversation found the real MVP. LVP. 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 And it's this constable. Yeah, I think I think the colonel, constable, whatever the hell we called him, I think he is. It's that and sort of Lawrence Olivier smoking. <laughs> <laughs> this is always the tricky, awkward one here. Ninety-two movies. When we're done with this, when we're done with this podcast, so hopefully we'll have ninety-two podcasts, and we will have an actual ranking and a number alongside nineteen forties Rebecca. This is an interesting one to rank because it's like when you talk about like comparing Rebecca to like Gladiator, or comparing Rebecca to Schindler's List, or comparing Rebecca to Forrest Gump. It's just like kind of an odd task because this is a this is a classic 
one of the original Hitchcock movies. It's not a movie that's really accessible today. Like you said, Grant, you couldn't even really find it. I bought it if anybody wants to watch it. It's also on YouTube. That's that's how I saw it. Yeah, I got it on YouTube too. I'll lend it to you. And I think the first time I saw this, it was just, I just DVR'd it on on Turner Classic Movies. Okay. Yeah, which is always a good method. What do you think? What do you think about a movie like this? I mean, it's, it's not a top tenner. No. It's not a bottom 30. No, but I think it's probably top 30. Because it's a good movie that holds up well. Well, I haven't seen a lot of these old movies. I can't imagine all of them are this watchable. They're not. This, right. And, you know, you've seen them all, so yeah. you can. So I think this is probably at the top of the old, near the top of the old movies. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. I, I for someone that's seen like 30 of these, these movies, I, I, I think I might put it at like 40. Yeah. I, I think I think it deserves to be in the top half. I would agree with that. You know, it's it's hard because like I don't think it's anywhere in the league of <laughs> Godfather right. or anything like that. But it's but it's definitely it's 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 a very good movie. It's yeah. a very good movie, right. and I think it's done extremely well. Right, and, I'll and tell I, you, I don't think I don't think it gets the recognition it deserves, which is which amazing. I've never yeah. heard of this movie until I until when we, we were talking. Yeah. We were talking about. It. I was going through the list, and I was like, "Oh, what's this?" And I was like, oh, it's Hitchcock. Let's see. Yeah. I was like, oh, this sounds cool. And then the, you know, the flip side of that too is that when if we're putting a ranking together, the Hitchcock tag is going to help this movie. Like, yeah. uh, 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 the only Hitchcock movie to win. Another yeah. old old school movie which is super watchable is not going to have that Hitchcock tag right. that make that will justify putting this over a movie like say a Beautiful Mind or something right. or like a that. Gladiator. Where, if it's right, yeah. If you if it's going head to head with one of those. Types of more the modern, Hitchcock accessible movies. Right. The fact that you say, "Well, listen, this is Hitchcock's first American movie. It's his only Best Picture winner. You, no one's going to fight you if you put it over right. a, a movie I, that I, someone I knows." Can't, I can't see anyone watching this movie and saying it was a waste of time. Right? You might say it's long. Might say it's short. Might say it's only black and white. But you're not going to. Well, those, well, those, those, I'm not concerned about people that complain about it being. But black when and white at, when they leave it, no one's going to be like that was bad. Yeah, I don't no. think no. If they if they invested the time to sit and actually watch it, like yeah. the acting's too good, the story's too smart. It, it was shot. It, it was shot very well. Right. I, I feel like no one, no one's, not, no one's walking out of this movie. Sure. If you make if you make a, if you make a deliberate attempt to watch it, right? If you're just like playing on your phone and you're not interested, that's your problem. But like, if you if you make an effort to watch it, you're gonna stick with it. I agree. Yeah, and I we're gonna. Talk about the other movies that were nominated. There's at least two that are super significant. But before we do that, and I think that this might be a little bit of the answer to the question we just asked, is why is this movie not remembered? And why is why had you never heard of this movie? I think a little bit it is, is just that Hitchcock has come up with some famous classic movies. He's got three movies on the AFI Top 100. Yeah. Is that the Rebecca's not even the top five of movies that are talked about? Yeah. Right. So and and it was the earliest. So all these movies came out afterward, and I think that they just kind of just overshadowed. His this is a very good movie. Those are iconic. Like yeah. two of the movies are in the Library of Congress because of how good they are and how important they are. Yeah. Like Rear Window and Psycho are in the Library of Congress. Like that's substantial. And we're going to discuss Rear Window and we're going to discuss Psycho. Did you give your rating? Did you give your your number? Oh, for the... Uh, for Rebecca. Yeah, I, I would say... I I think you both were on to it. 
with with what we what you were saying. It's a top it's top half. Right. And I think that it's gonna get an edge over a head to head edge on a tie. It's gonna the tie will go to Rebecca in this instance. I would say that you know I'm looking at probably something in the 30s. Okay. Could even be as high as the 20s. Wow. Okay. If it edges itself in there. Yeah. But I would you know, just if I'm just shooting from the hip, I'd say mid 30s, mid to early 30s. Okay. I think that makes you know, sense. I think about right, so that. we're roughly in the same. Yeah. Mid 30s, low 40s. Like I'm 40, yeah. and then you guys are like 35 ish. Yeah. I yeah. said 30s. I think. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we're all in the same. Cool. Same place. Now we're gonna spend some time talking about two of his more classic, uh, not more classic movies, but more. Popular movies. Sure. Psycho and Rear Window, both we all watched here. Mm. These are two movies, and, and obviously, if if you stuck with us this long, I would. you don't need us to tell you that we recommend you go out and, and watch Rebecca, but these are two movies, too, that anyone who's into film should, should watch. Oh, yeah. Just unbelievable, unbelievable masterpieces. Joey, I'm going to let you kick it off. Uh, just, you can, why don't we start with Rear Window, because we talked about Psycho a little bit. So why don't you uh, go ahead and <laughs> get out your trapper keeper? Yeah. <laughs> I take a lot of notes. Leave me alone. <laughs> I mean, Rear Window. You get an entire movie that doesn't leave a room. You get yeah. Grace Kelly, who's I mean, what else do you say about Grace Kelly? Oh My yeah, Lord. Ten out of ten. Yeah, the tension in that movie is just constant. There's one scene where we see more than he sees. Right? It's when he falls asleep and we see them leave. Otherwise, we see exactly what Jeffrey sees the entire time. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I've seen this movie a few times and rewatched it, and I was like, oh, that's why I love this movie so much. You don't leave a room. Yeah. How do you not leave a room and it be interesting in one set piece? You don't leave, you know, and it's, it's, it's super voyeuristic. He has the nicknames for everybody, Miss, you know, Miss Lonely Heart. Miss Torso. Miss Torso, yeah. and just watching everybody. And, you know, movie made in the 60s, now you're talking about real strong women, the 50s. nurse, 50s, sorry, yeah. the nurse, and then, again, Grace Kelly's character and her evolution from kind of debutante to risk taker. It's perfect. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, the the cabin fever that they're capturing, this is just awesome, too. Where it's very stuffy. Just, yeah, it's, yeah, you just get a feel this guy's just got nothing else to do. But and this. then when the nurse says, oh, it's uh, when his friend calls him and says, oh, and he's like, no, no, not today. Yes, Next yeah. Wednesday, it's been it's only been six weeks. Yeah. Like he's so aware of the yeah. time and how slowly it's moving. Yeah, where, where are you getting your information from? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know the irony of the end of it. Just he's back in his old wheels. Yeah, it break, breaks his other leg. <laughs> yeah. But hey, That's great stuff. What is, what is it? Uh, here lies the broken bones of LB Jeffries. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just yeah. Like like you said, the fact that because he can't leave the room, you can't leave the room either. And, yeah. and and you, you play you're forced to play in the same space as him and it's such a it's such a great choice that you see what he sees and it's claustrophobic mm-hmm. and it's and it really is like it taps into it, it taps into something that I think we all feel is is like how great people watching is right. <laughs> like everyone loves people watching right. yeah. and just it does it you know in just this super voyeuristic way because there's one thing people watching at a bar which you know, everybody gets a good laugh at. Yeah. Now you're literally you're, you're, pulling back into the shadows you're, you're to watch it. Because, you're looking at the people's right. lives. Like, I think the movie changes if when when the nurse runs across to see who the shipping people were. I think if we followed her onto the street, I think now we have a different movie. Because we're out of the apartment. It would break it. Yeah. yeah. Like, you have to stay it, with it work, him. It works because it's so claustrophobic. Right. You're with Jeffries. It, and then you feel, you feel that panic at, towards the end where when you know he's coming... And you're like Thorwald, Lars Thorwald. Thorwald. Yeah, you're like you can't go anywhere. 
Like, you're stuck. And then you're stuck in there with him. And when I mean, he shuts the light in the hallway before coming in and just waits, it's just... Yeah. Again, we talked about this a lot in Cuckoo's Nest when it was just like the ambient sound but no music. There's a lot of music in Hitchcock movies, but there it's just silent. You hear the steps, and well, then the lights yeah. go off. And then it's just Jeffrey sitting there fussing with his bag and the things, and you just hear crickets outside until he walks in. Yeah. And the only music you hear are music from either like Miss Torso's apartment or the composer's apartment. Right. Like you don't... There's no... If, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's other music. Like, there's no score. It's all music that is um, a di- diegetic. The music, all the music in Rear Window is diegetic, which is music that it's true to the world. You can hear it as, as the character. Right. Hears. It's not it's like, really well done, maybe. Yeah, really, really well I, done I love how much he does with how little space he has to play with in the set. It's a minimalist's masterpiece mm-hmm. where yeah. you're just here and you just get you get one side of the building yep. with just the windows, and it's almost like a like a play, like setting up yeah. a, a, but, it, a but it doesn't have that like. There's a lot of movies that have that stage set feel to it. And this doesn't fully because have it. Felt it. Real. Because because when they built the set, they built the apartments. Like the people, like Miss Torso, hung out in that apartment. They had running water in these apartments. They so like they could spend time in there. Right. So it felt more lived in than and just, just something. It wasn't a full cinematography too, right. where you just you're, you're viewing through the camera or the or the lens that he has right. out there. And yeah, and every every one of these actors had an earpiece. And Hitchcock would direct them from afar. So they would say, so he wouldn't even go to the apartments. He would, he would just be like, okay, we'll do this, do that. Like live in there. And yeah. I mean, when we talk about the claustrophobia of it, it's not like we're even going into the kitchen or the bedroom. No, or the we're bed. stuck in the living it's room. literally in yeah. the living room. And even the nurse says, like, the insurance company's not going to like that you're sleeping in the wheelchair. She's telling him, go to another room, but he's just staying there. Yeah, he's tied to right. that window. Right. Now, I, I wanted to pose this question. And this is in regards to Hitchcock's, all of Hitchcock's work, but, but most specifically this movie. Because he does so much with so little. Mm-hmm. And these movies were filmed in a different time. And we're going to get into that a little bit with Psycho, too. What do you think a Hitchcock movie would look like in 2020 if he were here making movies today... How would he utilize CGI? How would he utilize... I think he'd be keeping it all practical. Uh, I don't it's... know. I think you look at a movie like, like The Birds, and his he kind of pushed for... Visual effects. Visual effects. Yeah. And I, I think I think he would... Not to look like the level of George Lucas or something, but like I think he would, I think he would want to play in that world a little yeah. bit. Not, I, I feel like he would pull back if it... Was decreed. It was taking away from the story. Yeah, yeah. I think he's so story driven to yeah. tell the. But test, I, I, the like Burns has tell. that CGI ish type of feel to it. Sure, the, the, the graphics in that are yeah. great. No, I mean, it, yeah, obviously that. The so the time they're probably excellent. Yeah, but like you know, splicing in these birds sure. and the editing and all that stuff. Um, I think I think he would play in that world. Yeah, I think he would play in that world, uh, but like not to the detriment of the story. Yeah, yeah, I think he would keep it practical, but you know, I think whatever he used would all. Be to only enhance the tension and enhance the story, not to make it look flashier. Well, like like even in uh, even in Rear Window, you look at the very end when when uh, when Jeffries falls, yeah, falls out the window, and it just like he he wanted to have that visual of him falling down, and it looks like it looks terrible. Yeah, it does. Just it like that, Psycho that when yeah. Arbogast yeah. falls down falls, the stairs, and it's just like him. Oh! So so I so I I feel like if. If it, if it was today, he would totally use a CGI. Yeah, you saying, and I think he would embrace it. It he was a he was a director who wanted to push boundaries. 
even though he was a minimalist and a lot of stuff he did, he he did want to push boundaries, particularly particularly with with sexual taboos. Which I and mean, yeah, yeah. He he wanted he pushed the lines of what they would let him do when he and he fought he fought yeah. producers and he fought censors and and he did all that like that shower scene in Psycho. We don't understand what that was right. when it came out. I mean, to have you know a naked woman in a shower getting stabbed over with a hundred different was, cuts, yeah, yeah that, different world. That was a jarring, a right. jarring thing. And but we're, even we're, North by Northwest is a super sexual movie. The, the the I mean, you guys talked about in The Departed how you know heavy handed the rat at the end was. The last scene in North by Northwest is them making out in a train, then it goes to a train going into a tunnel. For a really <laughs> long time, it's not a subtle thing. It's like, ah. <laughs> we're uh, talking a little bit about the uh, about this before, but the, the producer David Selznick. I know Joe, you have a little thing prepared with this. He he was the producer of of Rebecca. He was the producer of Rebecca, and he really battled it out with Hitchcock. And as we brought up, Hitchcock had his battles with Joan Fontaine and. And played off her her deal, but they ended up working again, Hitchcock and F- Fontaine, and she ended up getting her first uh, and only Oscar with the movie Suspicion the following year. So their their relationship, while wasn't necessarily perfect while that movie was going on, Fontaine ended up cashing in with the Oscar the the next year. The relationship here with with Selznick not so good, Joe. If you wanna, yeah. So Selznick, they worked on. Selznick wouldn't let him do certain things. Wouldn't let him change certain part of the books. They became this very contentious relationship. So we kind of connected him to different dots throughout. So in North by Northwest, Thorhill is you know it's David O. Selznick, um, the character Thornhill in North by Northwest has the it's O. Thornhill, and he says, "Oh, the O means nothing." And then the salesman, Lars, is based off Selznick. So the murder in a movie I just, is based off of this producer. <laughs> I just I just Googled a picture of Selznick, mm-hmm. and he looks just like... Yeah, he, or, he yeah, cast he someone like to look yeah. like him well, yeah, to, be, to just take the shot at him because he was not afraid to, to go at his guys. And one of the roots of their conflict during Rebecca was is that Selznick went above and beyond to buy the rights to that novel. Right. He said, this is going to be a big movie, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it. And Hitchcock wanted to do the movie. He loved the novel too. And Selznick had he had hands because he had that whole he had the rights. So he was forced to work with it. And if you just compare, this is obviously twenty years later with Psycho, but Hitchcock secretly bought the rights to Psycho. And he did not want anyone to know but he did. that he bought it. But he wanted to have complete control over that. And Rebecca is the only movie that Hitchcock did where he had no control or was restricted in his control over the script mm. because Selznick did not want Hitchcock getting overly involved with the script and changing the story. He wanted to stick even to the, the story way he the edited. Novel. And there's even with Selznick at the fire at the end, Selznick yeah, wanted the, the smoke to come into an R from the pillowcase, but Hitchcock said no, yeah. luckily. Yeah, he it turned not, into... not even said no, but, and talk, he said, talk about heavy-handed. Right. You know, we're going to have an, an R of smoke kind right. of like Sesame yeah. Street at the top of the... <laughs> yeah. but the he, ghost of Rebecca. He filmed the scene when Selznick was yeah. was away with another... I think Selznick was busy with Gone with the Wind. Yep. And he was he goes, editing Gone with the Wind. Yeah, so he goes, oh, we got to get this scene done because he's going to come in and there's going to be yeah. floating smoke and R's all over the place. we got to get this done. So he, he cut so that part cool. out. And another thing he did is he... Did a lot of editing directly from the camera, which couldn't be changed at that time technologically. Uh, so once it was edited, it was, it was done. It. Yeah, right. so Selznick couldn't get his hands on it. So just those types of battles. And sure enough, years later, he, he creates a character that he gets to kill off <laughs> in the light of Selznick. 
I mean, it's perfect, right? <laughs> you hate this guy. Make the him the talent. costume jewelry salesman. Make, make him, make him a yeah, make him a wife killer. Right, and not even he's not even selling diamonds and gold. He's selling costume, costume jewelry. jewelry. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's selling fake shit. Right, giant fake nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even you know, and then the the extra characters, Miss Lonely Heart. There's a suicide scene. There's all <laughs> Miss Torso. She's pushing these guys off, and then her her very short husband. The suicide scene. Where it's like shit. Uh, that's as yeah, like they, they they like, They're just like they're watching. Like, oh, she's got the pills out. Oh, and she's crying. Oh, and she's there's a Bible. Yep. But let's go back to our other guy. And the nurse may, or may not be a murderer up there. Yeah. And the nurse is like, like but she'll be that's right. enough to kill her. Yeah. And then she and shuts the blinds. Like, like yeah. yeah, she'll be all right. I think there's something going on with the dog. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and then like later on, they're like, oh, oh, it turns out she's, she's okay. She's writing a note. She's okay. Yeah. It's like what? She gets attempted rape. Like there's she gets sexually assaulted. Uh, she, what, she ends up with the composer, though. Yeah, right she ends right? up with the composer because the music saves her life when she she doesn't take the pills because his song. I, I thought she, I thought I thought she gets interrupted because of the dog dies. Yeah, but then when she goes about it again, the music oh, okay. is what stops her. That's what makes her kind of give her energy. Okay. And then because the composer, because there's a good scene with the composer where the, he's having that whole party and everybody's yeah. so happy, and he's just staring at the window looking sad. And yeah, he doesn't yeah. look happy until he finds out his song's getting produced. That song's the one that saved her, so they end up together okay. based off the song. Talk about a story within a story. Just it, it's all done, all done without words. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So this brings us into into Psycho, and you know, as I, I mentioned this earlier, this was my first time seeing the film from beginning to end. I saw it when I was younger. When I say I saw it, as I saw the big scene, so it's very possible. Well, I'm not saying younger, or maybe I was, the Vince like, Vaughn color. I was either one. in middle school or, right. or you know. Wait, the, wait, the Vince Vaughn color one's not the original. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Oh, I was like, why you guys want me to see this Gus Van Sant movie? <laughs> the Great Anne Hesch. Probably, I might even have actually seen the whole movie as younger and just slept through the first part of it until the, until the shower scene came out. But that shower scene is something that stuck with me. I mean, it's, it's, it's everybody. I mean, that I mean, starts I, there was at least a point in my childhood where I was afraid to take a shower because, you know, I'm, I'm peeking my head every two between, seconds over the shower curtain. Between that and the original It. Yeah. Between that and the original It, showering was sketchy for a bit. Oh, the drain. <laughs> God, with the drain. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, so this, this movie is, uh, on so many levels and so many layers, an incredible work of art. That's yeah, brilliant. And I feel like it can, you can look at it on a lot of different angles, and you can analyze it in a lot of different ways. And he's even gone to say that the whole thing was kind of a spoof. You know, like, it, it, it just, it's so masterful. The sleight of hand that he uses to just make you follow this lead actor, this lead actress along the way, and then literally to a pit stop, where, which becomes the movie. But it's just, I don't think you can fully grasp what it was like to see this. When it came out in 1960. Yeah, I mean, there was things, there's, you know, I was reading all about how he, Hitchcock, had, when it told movie theaters, don't let anybody in once it starts. Because yeah. they have to be there the whole thing. And then even just the part of, you know, Janet Lee kind of billed as a top actress, dies 40 minutes into it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's crazy. What, you know, yeah, Drew Barrymore and Scream, that doesn't happen a lot. And, yeah. and then she dies in the... What, the most iconic movie murder, horror movie murder ever? Yeah, I, it, it kind of changes the way you can approach horror movies. The movie even starts off like almost like a heist. Like yeah. it's not even yeah. like, you, you don't even, you know, it's called Psycho. You're like, oh, okay, but we got Just in Arizona, robbery going on. For context, so $40,000 in 1960, today is $350,000. Yeah, so it's like a good chunk. Yeah. She's taking a good It's chunk. a big robbery. But they're not even called the cops on. They're just like, hey, bring it back. And Perkins' job here... 
as as Bates is just it is such a performance to oh, me. So great. It, it, the, the, the shifts that he does and just making you believe that he's more victim than anything else, and he's mm-hmm. like trapped in this in this area. And then just the reveals that you get along the way, straight to that last shot of him just glaring at the camera, just with the mother's face kind of like morphing into it a little skeleton, bit, and then yeah. the chain pulling out the car, going through the chest, like the connection. It's 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 wild, and you know he's based off Ed Gein. Yeah, and and just I just yeah. want to throw this out there because this is just a random thing. Is it, uh, we I was doing the prep for this movie, and pretty much got done with it last night, and had my I rewatched Rebecca today. But got everything done, and it was just flicking around, and there was a one of those A and E type of documentary things, and it was on Ed Hain, the serial killer who oh, was really? based on. Yeah. And you know, like any of those things, if you if you give it ten seconds of time, it's gonna suck in. Right, you're right. Like, oh, Especially you're, anything with Ed Gein. They're talking Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this, and I'm like, oh yeah, I heard that was based on something. <laughs> I didn't know. And I'm like, I'm watching, and then they start talking about his mother, and then they just talking about talking about Psycho, and I'm like. Pfft. Like what did yeah. the like I just I was literally just yeah, like no. dude, taking notes on this movie and now they were doing this whole thing yeah and yeah so this and and Silence of the Lambs as well so all yeah. three of those movies were kind of based sure. on the same well in in the book in the book Psycho Norman Bates was written as like a, a heavy guy yeah pretty much he's just old, like which, it, which, it's basically yeah. based he's on, an yeah. older guy right, right. he's so Ed was Ed, old Ed, Ed, yeah it, it was it was more based more clearly based on Ed Gein than right. it was. Yeah. You know, then uh, like then what Anthony Perkins did, yeah. but I, th- I thought Anthony yeah, but, yeah. he did a great job of making it his own thing. It's almost it's almost more believable having him be like this skinny, yeah, like this like this yeah, skinny charming. kind of yeah, like I mean the young guy saying what you know a a boy's best friend is his mother comes across much differently in this kind of troubled early twenties years old than a fifty year old. Yeah, there, there's there there's more of a disconnect. It's much sure. creepier. And that's that Hitchcock twist right. and turn with it, where he he saw this and he saw what he wanted to do with this, and he bought it secretly and made sure he had control over it. And then, like you said, with the movies, he wanted to make sure people did not enter this halfway. They had to, right. because back then the movies used to play a loop, right? So you just go in, and if you got in there halfway through it, you sit through the end of it, and start it up again, around, and you yeah. watch it. Seems, and he that goes, seems awful. <laughs> <laughs> right, you never it know. Seems it's terrible. Time. He goes, hell no, I need a start time. And an end time with these movies, and that kind of even morphed into what movies are today. The misdirection he uses in this movie is yeah. real masterful and stays rewatchable. Because we kind of talked about this a little bit in the Departed episode with the infamous RDB. And you can do a twist and turn at the end like there is at the mm-hmm. end of Departed or the end, is at the end of Sixth Sense. And watch the movie over and over again, knowing it's there and still yeah. loving right. all the other aspects of what's going on. Yeah, Fight, Fight Club too. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Does knowing the twist make it better or does knowing the twist make it useless to watch? And, yeah. that's kind and of then where... you can watch every other M. Night Shyamalan movie and you'll see the twists that are useless to watch. Right. It's kind of... Yeah. Like, you don't. You never need to see the town again. Or <laughs> the what is it? The village. The whatever village. it is. Yeah. The town you well, the town you got to see. The town you got to see. You got to see Jeremy Renner just for Jeremy Renner alone. Right. Jeremy Renner was Jeremy Renner. But if he wasn't Jeremy Renner, he wouldn't be Jeremy Renner. <laughs> except in Hurt Locker when he's great. Except in, except in Hurt Locker when he's also Jeremy Renner. And he's so go then. watch our Departed episode for Easter eggs <laughs> here this one. As RDB shaking his fist at his device RDB back is not listening to this. <laughs> RDB's narrating over this right now. They're all cracking a beer. Ray, Ray Liotta's sitting next to him telling him how he should be watching this podcast. Now, how about this one I just want to throw at you. Psycho, Rear Window... 
Rebecca, what, which one? Mm. Which no, I'm not going to ask you to pick which one you like best. I'm not going to ask you to put them in order. But if if you if someone came up to you and you were like, I heard Hitchcock's this amazing director. I, I need to see something to funnel. Which movie would? Which of the three would you show them? Psycho. Rear Window. And Rear Window, I think, is also has relatability. I mean, Simpsons have done a Rear Window. Family Guy's done it. There was that Child Boof movie, Suburbia. But I th- and, and I love Psycho. I think Psycho is my favorite of them. Like, but I, think, yeah, I feel like Psycho is such a game changer. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I'd shown Rebecca just because it's 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 earlier and it's less of that of that Hitchcock thumbprint. It's not as, it's not as pul- pulpy. It's not as. I yeah. think it's Psycho yeah. or Rear Window. And I, I think don't think I'd shown North by Northwest. Because, like you said before, there's a little bit. It it takes a little while to get into it's where it's going. It's a slow going. build. Yeah, it's a slow. I think build. the best part of that is Eva Marie Saint. I think she's excellent in that. But I, I think it's Rear Window or Psycho. Yeah, I love Strangers on a Train. That would be one that I, I would throw out there. But between these two movies, I think Psycho is just the definitive. I think you, yeah. you can't go wrong with Rear Window either. I mean, they've both been kind of spoofed and parodied or even Forever. remade right. well, over the years. Both of them have been remade into, into modern th- they movies. They made s- sequels to, Cy- to Psycho. Yeah, Psycho had, had, had four. 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 Yeah, one four. four. I and then had the Bates Motel right. television show. Yeah, I, We can't go wrong with either. I They're think as so far good. as movie making goes, oh man, like you said, you can't go wrong with either. I would probably go Psycho myself, but you, you'd be fine with Rear Window too. Maybe, maybe I would show them Rear Window just because I think that Psycho is, it's too culturally relevant. Where they already, I don't. They've seen the scene. If let me let me let me answer it this way: If this person knew nothing of either movie, and literally had never seen the shower scene before, Psycho, I would that. definitely. Oh, go then Psycho. it's Psycho. But I think but everybody's it's very seen the hard. Yeah, it's very hard to find that that everybody's that person. seen the yeah, So I so in that way, Rear Window might be more effective because they don't know as much about it, presumably. And you get Grace Kelly. And you get Grace Kelly. Hell yeah! We're gonna we're gonna wrap her up and take her home here. And while we're getting into into ranking movies, we're at, we're at the end of episode six here. And as we say in the opening every week, we do want to ultimately get to a list of rankings. So the three of us are gonna talk about the six movies that are on here. We're going to go ahead and give our rankings. Before we do that, and we know this is not a best, this is not a who should have won. This is not a who should have won podcast. We do want to go through the other nominees that were up the year that Rebecca won the award. This was a year where there were 10 nominees and there are 10 nominees today or, or about up 10. Two, Sometimes, they could yeah, be up, up to 10. 10. Up to there 10. was nine this eight year. Or nine. So there were nine this year. Three years later, it's going to go to five. the five format. And I, I knew that when we were doing this, for the first five episodes, we only have to talk about four other nominees. And I was like, oh boy, one time we get to the 10. I assumed that that 10 would be off of a newer movie. Yeah, I, here I thought it was five forever. I, I did not know this. Yeah, way back when, that's kind of where they went back to that original format. So we're going to zip through these movies here. I don't think that any of us have seen any of these movies. I saw, I saw Grapes of Wrath. Okay. I've seen Grapes of Wrath. I know the story. I've read Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, so there's two iconic movies in this list. Grapes of Wrath being one, so we'll get that right out of the gates, based on the, on the John Steinbeck novel. And, and interestingly enough, one of the Hitchcock movies I watched before this was Lifeboat, and the screenplay was by John Steinbeck. Okay. Really? And he got nominated for the Oscar oh, for it. Oh, wow. For, for the screenplay. Yeah, they, they got... Now, the book... It was, he never wanted the book released. It was strictly for the movie. Oh, wow. It wasn't made public. After he died, they tried to 
get it released. The wife stayed strong with it and, and didn't get it done. So, but yeah, that's the Steinbeck. I, you know, the epic Steinbeck novel, Grapes of Wrath. It's a, you know, it's a fine movie for sure. Directed by John Ford, who wins Best Director and keeps Hitchcock away from, from the statue that he never took home. It's, have you read the book? Yeah. It's a long, yeah, it's I love book. Steinbeck. I love yeah. Steinbeck. I love his style of writing. It's not for everyone. It's, it's for both, but it, it, I appreciate him to the nines. So if you've read the book, check out the movie. It's, it's, it's a great movie. I believe it's on the AFI Top 100. And another one that's a great dictator, Charlie Chaplin. Again, we, you guys haven't seen that, right? I have not I seen have it myself. Not, no. So we have those two. To give you a little, a little synopsis of The Great Dictator, just so we know what it's about. Dictator Andoid Heinkel tries to expand his empire while a poor Jewish barber tries to avoid persecution from Heinkel's regime. It's a... See, a, a spoof. Oh, I wonder, who's that? Was this based on anything? Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> if it's based on someone, he's got a funny mustache. So mm. An, an extreme part in his hair. <laughs> that sounds like Jojo Rabbit. That's weird. It it, it, <laughs> it, it, it <laughs> on that same guy that's in that Jojo Rabbit movie. Mm. The next one here is The Foreign Correspondent. Guess who The Foreign Correspondent was directed by? Who's that? Sir Alfred Hitchcock. He has a second movie that is nominated this year, believe it or not. No kidding. Did not know that till this second right now. So, <laughs> really, again, my research for this one is it's really just, doubling down. Yeah, they're sneaking in. On the eve of World War II, a young American reporter uh, tries to expose enemy agents in London. Joey, what's our next one? All This in Heaven 2, American drama made by Warner Brothers. Never heard of it. It's about Betty Davis is in it. She's a French woman. She starts teaching at an American girls' school. And there's just a lot of gossip about her, and this forces her to tell her story, and then the movie is her telling her story, based off the gossip. So it's Mean Girls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There's also another top 100 AFI one on here, too, that I, I let slip through the cracks there. The Philadelphia Story. Philadelphia Story is one you'll, you'll catch us usually on the regular on, on TCMs. When a, and, and I always think of this one, I always think it's the... It's like the Manhattan Project where they do like the nuclear bomb testing. It's not at all that. <laughs> when a rich woman's ex-husband and a tabloid-type reporter turn up just before her planned remarriage, she begins to learn the truth about herself. Directed by George Kukar. And yeah, I mean, that's this another AFI Top 100, so I'm sure it's a, a well-acted, well-directed movie for sure. But haven't seen it yet. I'll have to put it on the future list. Next, we have Our Town. This is that the town with Jeremy Renner? It is not with Jeremy Renner, no, but it's no. composed by no, Aaron Copeland, who I imagine is Edge's grandfather. Uh, <laughs> it's, so, change comes slowly to a small New Hampshire town in the early 20th century. So, for the residents of Grover's Corners, daily life proceeds at a predictable place. George and Emily fall in love as adults, and despite last-minute nerves, get married. Their happiness does not last, however, as Emily dies during the birth of a child... Returning as a ghost, she ponders her existence. Spoiler Dr alert. Yeah. Directed by Sam Wood, and it's adapted from a book called Our Town. That was a mouthful. Yeah. Like, Philadelphia story got, like, two sentences. <laughs> Which leads us to Kitty Foyle. Kitty Foyle, a hard-working, white-collar girl from a middle-class family, falls in love with a young socialite, but she soon clashes with his family. Directed by Sam Wood as well. Wow, a lot of, they're getting uh, they're getting real busy. duty on this year. All right, next next we're going to the Long Voyage Home. Um, Eighty three percent liked this movie of Google users. Uh, World War Two movie. English cargo ship is sailing from the West Indies to Baltimore. 
Upon their arrival, the new cargo, a load of dynamite, puts the men ill at ease, as does the chance there may be a Nazi spy on board, and as the general loneliness of seafaring. Directed by John Ford, United Artists distributed it. I have that heard sounds, of that one. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, yeah I know, that sounds, sounds like a good yeah, movie. Yeah, that, that one I have heard of. Yeah. So that, that's 100% of Rotten Tomatoes, and 7 out of 10 on IMDb. So yeah, There you go. Okay. And finally, that leaves us with... The Letter, starring Betty Davis. And this is a William Wyler movie. William Wyler will come up for sure on this on this list of movies we have here for Best Picture winners. But the wife of a rubber plantation administrator shoots a man to death and claims it was self-defense. But a letter in her own hand may prove her undoing. So there we go. Those are our Best Picture nominees. Rebecca, it's... And one thing I heard is kind of like it's it's like... It's weird to say that like Hitchcock's only Best Picture winner is kind of a confrontational one, but you do have three of those movies on the AFI Top 100. Rebecca's not so, and um, I really want to see The Long Voyage Home. I think I'm going to go out of my way to see that. Yeah, that's that really interesting. That's really interesting. Sounds good too. And I do have Philadelphia Story up on my list here too. We're gonna we're gonna take her home now, and we have six movies we've discussed at this point. If you've heard all our podcasts, you'll know that those movies are Departed, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Rain Man, Crash. Shakespeare in Love, and now Rebecca. So we're going to talk about how we're going to put these six movies in order. Basically, there's a, a general concept of anyone that says, well, how can you put up one movie or the other? But, well, listen, we do it every Oscar season. So if these six movies were nominated for Best Picture, who would win? If that one's out of the mix and it was just the five movies, who would win? If that one's out of the mix, it was just the four and a garbage movie, and so on and so on down the line. I think we all have One Fool of the Cuckoo's Nest as the number one here. We'll just leave it... Unquestionable. Yeah, we'll leave that there right now. I think that when, for me at least, when One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest starts getting challenged, it's when we start moving into our, our Godfathers and our Lawrence of Arabias, and then there's a few others up there that I think contend with it. But by all, by all means, I, mean, I think that One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is probably going to be a top tenner. At, at the very least here, and it's going to fight that top five status. Any other thoughts there on that? I don't even think there's anything to discuss there. I think it's going to be the all-time greats are the ones that battle that. Yeah. For number two, let's kind of like let's go around of what you have at number two. I think that's what, Grant, you want to kick it off okay. for us first? I get, all right. So for, for me, I, I didn't see Cuckoo's Nest, so I'll give you my number one. Fine. That works, yeah. <clears throat> my number one is Departed. Okay. Departed. Out of these six movies, uh, it's the most. It's the movie that I will, if it's on, I will always watch it, uh, and I will enjoy it, and I will get something new out of it every time. Scorsese is awesome. Leo's awesome. Everyone's great in it. Departed is my number one. Okay. I also have Departed at number two. Joey, I'll, I'll pass it off to you. Departed is number two. Big fan of Departed. It's. I mean, you that turns on at any point in the movie. I'm going to sit and watch the entire thing like Grant said, and I think that's right there. Yeah, and a big takeaway with that one is I think that it gets underappreciated because people get hung up on the fact that, that some of Scorsese's other movies didn't win, and they think that that it got some sort of handout or something, which I do not agree with. It's by far, it's by far the best movie that year, in my opinion. I think it's. I mean, it's a great movie. I think. I mean, it's right there. It's really rewatchable. The acting is great. If the argument for the acting being bad is inconsistent accents, I'm, I'm not going to. The, the movie's excellent. Micro processes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <wrong setup. laughs> Joey, why don't you pick what you have at number three? I have Rebecca at number three. Okay. Yeah, I, I, that's where I worked it in. I really, I'm, I'm comfortable with it there. I think it's a really good movie for something I didn't know about until recently and didn't watch until two days ago. Um, now I've seen it twice, some scenes four times. Um, I think it's a great movie. 
Yeah. Grant? Yeah, that's my number two. Okay. Yeah. yeah so you have that in at the same slot right behind right. Departed. I also have Rebecca in that slot too. So okay. we have, so far the, with the working standings, we have one, one for the Cuckoo's Nest. Grant with an asterisk on that one because he hasn't seen it yet. I put Jaws number one. <laughs> ah, there it is. <laughs> that, works. that works. All right. I love it. We have Departed in at number two. Rebecca in at number three. Number four, I will go ahead and start on this one. And I have Rain Man in at number four. I think that when people say Rain Man, a cue goes off in a lot of people's heads about what they're supposed to think it is. If they're like a movie snob or a movie buff, if you will, they're going to possibly deter themselves away from Rain Man because of the era it came out and what it kind of symbolizes as far as box office movies and Oscar award winners. But I think it's a wonderful film. It's a great story, superb acting. I can comfortably put that in. It it was a little bit of a, a look at with that, Rebecca, but I think at the end of the day, Rebecca's more more of a classic, really, really well-filmed movie. So I have Rain Man in as the next one. Uh, I'm actually differing. I, I put Shakespeare in Love. Interesting. As the follow-up. I don't know, I just, I, I think it's, I don't know, I just find it more enjoyable than Rain Man. It was just an interesting story. And it was done really well, and it was kind of a nice, just just a just a nice love story. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's not like far and away above anything else. It's just kind of I just, I'm, I'm more basing this on like if it was on, what would I watch yeah. the okay. you know the most? And that then to me, Shakespeare and Love wins out. And my aspect. brother would be happy on that one for well, sure. Is he, you know, he he, me, me, he may have it over Cuckoo's Nest. So <laughs> I think, think Brendan B has own. the number one over everything. <laughs> over the Godfather, over yeah. Godfather Part Two. He's it's... in that one percentile who who would pick it over Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, uh, but uh, Joey would you, and and listen before. I really enjoyed that movie, too. We'll yeah. get to that next. But, but So yeah, I, was, I actually was torn between Rain Man and Shakespeare in Love here. I hadn't seen Shakespeare in Love in a long time, but then you know I knew you were doing that, so I rewatched it. I really had a debate where that felt with Rain Man. I ended up putting Rain Man over it, but it, it was tight. Yeah. I, I, for a movie I hadn't... I remember liking it, but whatever. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's delightful. And we'll, we'll, I'm guessing Rain Man you had That's next, Grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I... I Shakespeare in Love is next, and Shakespeare Love's next on yours, Jerry. Yes. Okay. So just to, just a word on Shakespeare in Love, and you, you, we talked about it last episode. It's super underestimated for what it is because of what it went up against that year. Right. And you really probably could comfortably argue that it was the fourth best of the five movies that were nominated that year. And it would be – you could come up with a real potent argument to say that. And because it won, I think it leaves a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth. But for what it is, it is a super enjoyable movie. Yeah. It's well acted. It's fun. It's yeah. funny. Right. Yeah. What? It, it, and really rewatching, I was like, oh, this is good. And under the context you have set, this is not about what should have won. Yeah. This is what we have in front of us. Yes. It's a really good movie. And I think it's a good spot here. Yeah. Yeah. I agree too. It's not and, perfect, but it's good. Yeah, it's, it's not fair that it's the movie that should have lost to Saving Private Ryan. Like, out of that context, it's good. Yeah. And it's not a good, to me, and, you know, someone else's list might look differently. It's not a bottom 10 movie on this 90 no, list. I, don't think I think so. it's no. a pretty good, it's a pretty good movie. It's fine for the middle. Now, the next, then that leaves us with the last one, which might have to fight that battle in the elimination chamber to be the, <laughs> to be in that bottom 10. And that's Crash. Joe, you were not on the Crash episode. You can get all my thoughts and Grant's thoughts on on Crash and the Crash episode. Oh, I don't yeah. feel either of us 
are obligated to say anything more about it. I feel like I said everything I needed yeah, to say. So we'll, so we'll we'll let our words speak for themselves. Joey, what do you have to <laughs> I think you two have said it all. <laughs> <laughs> I think to add it does nothing. Okay. It, it is it is comfortably last. Okay. First and last were easy. The first and last were easy. Good. So that's a, that's our working list right now for six. We're not going like, to change this every episode. So maybe you know we'll check in after episode eleven or twelve, and or maybe after ten we we'll get our top ten figured out that way. But I do want you guys to to get back to us with your thoughts. We do have kind of different hosts here every episode, so you do get a little bit of a variety in thoughts. But we want to open that up to everyone out there to kind of give us a little bit more of what they think too. Any guys closing thoughts, guys? No, see Rebecca. It's, yes, it's it's a it's no one talks about it and people really should. And av- available on YouTube for just to, to watch for free, so it's, you, know, you can check that out too. Or if you still have a DVD player, I'll give it to you. But like Grant said, watch it; it's really good. And <laughs> you know, support Grace Kelly. Yeah, and for our listener out in New Zealand, you're going to pay for your own postage if you're borrowing uh, if you're borrowing <laughs> Joey's DVD. I want to remind you: shop it up with us on Twitter. We're at Best Picture Cast on Twitter. Email's a little different. It's bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Write us an email. We will if you write us a nice email, we'll read it out at the beginning of a show and get your thoughts out there too. Like I said, this is we're we're not exclusive with our thoughts here. We're not saying that we know more than anybody. It's all about discussion and it's fun that a couple of people have already kind of reached out to us on Twitter and kind of opened the, the thoughts too. We'll put these rankings out on Twitter too to see, you know, who who can pick them apart or who wants to do it. But we appreciate you listening to uh, to this lengthy episode on uh the great Alfred Hitchcock and and Rebecca and uh we're gonna get you we're gonna get you next time and next week's episode is gonna be another interesting controversial deal we'll have a new co-host with us Rob Bobcat will be there we're gonna talk Chicago and uh I can't wait to have that conversation with with Rob who's a real character I think you'll like him a lot too Gentlemen, it was fun as always. Thank gonna, you. Yeah, Thanks, I like this three-man podcast. It's great this as always. Format, it's cool. Good stuff. Thank three you. Man. Man.